Hello and welcome to episode 150 of the Dive Down. We did it. 150. 150. Z-Gats. A special episode to mark 150. This is a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago. And with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. What's up, Stanislav? Good to see you. Man, okay, uh, weather talk. Absolutely, absolutely mind-blowingly amazing here in Colorado. The mountains looked like Bob Ross painting. It was bonkers. It was like 65. Oh my gosh. Never change, please. Must be nice. Alas, our third co-host, Dave Harberger, is off this week, but joining us in his place. It is a very special guest. One of the original modern podcasters who played no small part in inspiring us to start this show once upon a time many years ago. You may know him as the permanent number one seat <laughs> in the SCG leaderboard. Never, never change leaderboard. But we know him as Zach Allen. Hey, Zach. Hey, how you guys doing? Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is... Uh... This is an honor. I didn't realize this was episode 150. This is actually pretty big. Oh my God. Yeah, it's like we, we'll have our three-year anniversary like in a month. My goodness. Welcome to 150. This is huge. It is huge. I, I, I got to geek out a little bit. So for those who may not know, Zach used to be the co-host on Turn One Thoughtsies, one of the original modern podcasts as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. And I used to love listening to you every week. I think in your own way, you really inspired us to to kind of think about the way we talk about the format, analyze the format, and, and really consider how do we you know, talk about this game that we love and our favorite format essentially for players who are really on our level, not on your level, um, but you really set the standard in a lot of ways. So it's, it's a real privilege to get to chat with you today and pick your brain about some of the stuff that I couldn't ask you when I was listening to you. But now you have to sure. hear me and you have to respond. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a secret. We would have, if you could, you could have just tweeted at us and we would have answered because we were desperate for people to be like, hey, question. We need a question this week. Yeah, we, we have the luxury of like the Discord where like people will throw us questions. But even then, it's like, you know, everyone's asked us all the questions. Yeah, we, I, we, I was doing Throwing Thoughtsies before, di like, before Discord was big. Like, we had a Discord towards the end, but yeah, it hadn't really caught on yet. And I think you're right. It's a way different game nowadays. I mean, there's you've got a whole community with every podcast. You kind of need something like that to, to actually get the questions and make it a realistic thing. So the game has changed, but I, I'm happy to hear that you guys actually liked it because I love doing that podcast. That was great. It was just, um, I, I don't know, we did it for like three years and I you know kind of felt like it ran its toll. But love Aaron, would love to actually get back and do like a reunion episode with him. But I don't know anybody who still wants it nowadays. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, that's how I feel about working with Stan and Dave. It's like, we're about, we're, we're about, probably about done. <laughs> Shane, I have a question for you. Where is your yeah. Modern Horizons 2 squirrel box? Zach and I have got ours. Where's, where, where is the squirrel? Oh, the, oh, the, is that, oh, you, you have the original packaging? Never got rid of it. Is that a fresh, is that a freshie? No, this is from June. Oh, okay. I just love the squirrel. I mean, it's pretty fun. You, well, you know, you know my opinion on the squirrels during spoiler season. It was just like, Cool filler. You hated them. On this week's show, we finalize our prep for the CFB Las Vegas Modern Tournament this upcoming weekend, and hopefully we'll get to pick Zach's experienced brain for a little input on how he might prepare for a big tournament. We'll talk about finalizing sideboards, matchup anxiety, deck selection, which basic lands to use, and hopefully much more. 
We're also going to touch on our last bit of modern testing with a handful of decks that caught our eye in the last couple of weeks. But before all that, let's housekeep. Let's do it. Shout out to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation, Weston S, Rats, and Ransom D. Is that so? Is that like Weston S Rats, or is Rats separate from Weston? Rats with a Z, totally different entity. Okay. Well, welcome, you new citizens of the Dive Down Nation. Super hyped to, to have you with us. We have no new reviews this week. After, here's here's my favorite thing: is we beg, we beg for reviews. And then we get like six. We get like six in like two a two week span. And then everyone's like, "Well, I did my I did my part, but I want more reviews." So get in there. But I we appreciate all y'all. Um, we are brought to you by Patreon. Patreon.com slash the dive down. All one word. <laughs> as little as a buck a week gets you into the super. No, actually, it's the definitively discreet dive down Discord. I almost went back to the the old Slack language. Don't do that. But, um, more than that, here's the thing. I, I am on the email chain with Legion Supplies, and they have the deck box art. They have edited deck box art so that the line weights are correct. And these things are going to be printed soon, which is dope. Uh, I cannot tell you how long it'll take to get them in our hands, but it's very close. The, the, the deck boxes are almost done. They look sick. Don't they, Stanislav? They look insane. I cannot wait to run this deck box i will tell you what zach do you need a deck box can we can we ship you a deck box okay so i 100 do not need a deck box i have so many <laughs> no, but nope, also please ship one because i want another <laughs> this is All like right. if somebody asked me do i need a play mat it's like <laughs> yeah I, i'll take it because i can you can never have too many but like i definitely do not need one in any sense All of right. the word 10 boxes 20 play mats i, I definitely need a deck box more than i need a play mat because i'm getting into commander so deck boxes are actually always useful there's like 15 yes. play mats start losing mm-hmm. those, those are that's a dangerous sentence i'm getting into commander uh well that's <laughs> the danger has happened i am square in the middle of it because i am i'm oh, knee man. deep now <laughs> that's awesome Stanislav, who, uh, oh yeah, so anyway, $5 gets you into the deck box tier. Uh, $3 gets you into the swag tier. More than that is more cool stuff. Like you get the episode early, you get a play mat, uh, and we we have a new batch of those that have arrived, right, Stan? So that's awesome. That's right. And then $15 tier is the everything above. I mean, everything that I just said, but you also, every six months or so, get to help us design an episode topic. We're actually going to have one of those coming up, I think, after we get back from Vegas, have time to uh, talk about that event, uh, break that event down. I think we will have one pretty soon for the other Mickey S. Yeah. No, no, sorry for the spoilers there. My son's name is also Mickey S. <laughs> also, if you'd like to support the show while playing Magic, you can use promo code THEDIVEDOWN2021 when you sign up for a Mana Trader subscription to rent Magic online cards. 15% off, couple months, play Modern, or other formats. I think there's other formats on Moto, or there, so I've heard. There are definitely other formats on Moto, but you really are signing up to play Modern. That's right. And <laughs> the, the Mana Traders tournament this, this month is Modern as well, so... <sighs> If you have a Mana oh, Trader man. sub and you win, you actually get more money, too. Yeah. You can take all the work that we've been doing and thinking that we've been doing and just go to Mana Traders if you can't make Vegas. So go for it. All right. With all that out of the way, Zach, the first thing we do in every episode after housekeeping and introductions is a little something we call the breakdown, where we're going to talk about uh, one of these weekend's tournaments to go over results, and what we're going to do is look at the Saturday Modern Showcase that happened yesterday. We already have deck lists. It is a spicy meatball. 
Did you play in this by any chance? I did not play in this, although having looking or looking at the results, I kind of wish I had. <laughs> I'm itching. I'm itching for some high level modern. Do you often play on these weekend events? I've played like one in the past two years. Uh, when I was still grinding the SEG tour, I played every single one that was on an off weekend from an open. Yeah. Uh, as of recently, uh, my job has started to be seen. I have started working on weekends essentially. So yeah. it's hard to get time off to play in them. I, I like have to specifically request it off. I did take last Sunday off to play the Legacy one, and it did not go well. So. Oh man! I mean, you don't have to make excuses to us. We're never we're never playing these things. We uh we uh we have kids and cats. Sure. Yeah, we got you know we got and we, no QPs. Are these the ones you can just buy into? Well, I actually you could buy into some of them. The showcases you need QPs for. I actually have the QPs, which is the embarrassing part. Like I could just oh, enter no. these, and I just don't. I just don't. So I don't know. <laughs> my my eight QPs were not enough to get me into this showcase, but maybe Weird. the next one. So thankfully, the the diligent work of what Bamzing, Canister, and who else helps assist with this deck box scrape with the deck scraping. I got deck box on the mind. They looked at the top 89 decks because that's everyone who went five, four, or better. There were 328 players and they didn't have it in them to dig that deep for the full metagame breakdown. So what are we looking at here? Right. So we are looking at um, 328 players. All right. So we're going to start with these top 89 and then we're going to take a peek at how they converted to top 62, which is six, three and better. And then after that, we'll go into the actual top eight and the winner. Most popular deck among all the players with 11 copies was Hammer Time. And what's cool about the way they're doing these deck scrapes now is there's less um, instances where you have like mono white hammer and white black yeah. hammer. It's like, all getting rolled in together now. So it saves me like 15 seconds where I'm like, oh, there's a mono white hammer or there's like a, a Boros burn without Luris. So they just, yeah, just scraping them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bamsing updated their... Uh, Excel technology. I think they got a new plugin <laughs> for for better pivot tables. Most popular deck, Hammer Time, with eleven copies. Second most popular deck, Four Color Ephemerate, with eight copies. You know these four color greedy mana Ephemerate piles have been getting more and more popular. Zach, how do you feel about these like up and coming Ephemerate lists that are just like Omnath to Fairy Tribal? Well, okay. So me personally, I despise them. Uh, <laughs> They are the exact type of deck you want to play if you want to beat the deck I play, which is blue-white control generally. So, Nightmare for me, uh, in terms of like how good are they? Yeah, they're good. They are very real. They're here to stay. They're playing a lot of the best cards in the format. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just a, a player in modern at this point. I think it's just par for the course. You're going to see this at the top of a lot of events. So you, you mentioned the best cards in the format. To me, that's like Teferi, Omnath, Solitude... Um, Fury. Yeah, yep. <laughs> you named a lot of them. Prismatic <laughs> Ending, for sure, is one oh, of them right, right. playing that. Weird. Unholy Heat. I don't think this one plays Unholy Heat, although I would describe that as one of the oh, best I cards. We, I thought we were just naming, I thought we were just naming cool cards. Oh. Rag, Ragavan. I thought you were just reading out the Modern Horizons 2 Lightning, set list. Lightning Bolts. Ristic Study. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, moving on. With six copies each, we had Blue Eye Control, Is It Merktide, and Burn. Yeah. That's about where I expect those, right? I actually I actually think Burn is a little more present than I would have guessed. I mean, I know you have people out there that always love Burn. Yeah. But I don't know if you've ever played Burn against against Omnath, but that's not <laughs> generally where you want to be. Uh, I mean, yeah. you can definitely beat it. It is a four drop, but like... It's unbearable. <laughs> 
<laughs> Landfall gain four is not what Burn wants to play against. I'll tell you what. Yeah, we we were talking about that, and like as the Burn player, I would much rather face down a Solitude than an Omnath. Like oftentimes Omnath, unless I have the kill on the crackback, I kind of feel like it's a scoopable game at that point. Yeah, I mean, certainly Omnath has its weaknesses to burn. Like, you Skullcrag at the turn they play it and then kill them. Right. And that's real, but if they have a Fetchly in the turn they play it, they just, like, you know, trigger oh, yeah. gain four, they Skullcrag you, pass, upkeep, gain four again. Like, it's pretty tough for Burn. But the other thing that really stinks for Burn is it, I don't think Burn is good against Hammer at all. Um, Ooh. I think, it, like, you can prepare for Hammer in your sideboard as a Burn player, but, like, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to be playing against the the... My land tutors her shadow spear and my shadow spear instant speed equips to like an eight eight guy like that's so bad for you. That's that's funny. I mean, I want I want to talk about this later in the episode because I I have a differing opinion from my playtesting, but I also could just be playtesting against people who don't exactly know what they're doing, like myself. That's fair. So that's fair. Interesting. With five copies apiece, Jun Saga and Living End, and then Teamer for False, four copies in the top eighty nine. These are all decks. Footfalls is the one that surprises me, if we're being honest, because... Like, too few or too many? Too few. Because a few... I don't know. You tell me a week ago, two weeks ago, I would have guessed that number was a lot higher. And yeah. uh, when I played Desi G Invitational, I don't know, two weeks ago at this point, it was one of the most represented decks by far. So a little surprised to see that number as low as it is right now. Not only has this representation been shrinking, I just haven't been seeing it in top eights as much in the last three or four weeks. Like, it's really started to decline right around the same time that... We started seeing these four, co- four color like Yorion or non Yorion piles, which I would have expected would make the deck stronger as people iterated into like Teferi Ardent Plea versions. But instead, I think it's getting less representative. And I wonder if part of that is these Omnath decks with Teferis and just Teferi being everywhere is becoming a, a, almost an insurmountable problem for, certainly for possible. rhinos. Certainly possible. But that that's another point on my burn thing is. Uh, one of burn one of the matchups you want as burn is team or footfalls. So like that deck being less popular, like makes burn even more confusing to me. But you know, I mean, mm-hmm. who knows? All right, three copies with four color Omnath control, blue black mill, and Grixis Shadow. Shadow making a huge comeback lately, especially after Corey won the Invitational, piloting that. Yeah, and uh, Spike's been playing some leagues with it. I think he's got a couple trophies on his new trophy race uh, with Grixis Shadow. Zach, you and I got paired up in a league last yep. week. I was on Grixis Shadow. You were on Amulet Titan. We got to game three. It was top deck mode. I think we were both at one life. I I, I could be coming up with a, making up a little bit of story here, but we were both at like one life, and it was who would draw the best card next. And you and you you drew the Valakit, I think, and, and beat me on the spot. Oh, yeah, I either drew the Valakit or the Dryad, and I was like, yep, that's, I got him. Or no, it was the Valakit. I had the Dryad. Yeah, yeah. I still felt like Grixis Shadow's pretty good. It was a fun match. I think Grixis Shadow's great. I think it's a very good deck. Yeah, I think Grixis Shadow's really good, and I think Amulet's also quite good right now. Um, I think both of those are underrepresented, if we're being honest. So we, d- we we did have two copies of Amulet. What do you think about Amulet right now, considering how much, like, it seemed like it was a total dog right after MH2 came out. Um, people were talking about how bad of the, how bad it is in the Merktide matchup. Is Merktide enough on a downswing that people are able to play Amulet again? Or is it just kind of like, it was never really that bad and people were overstating its position in the format? So there's a few things going on with Amulet. One is... Counterspell got printed, which is kind of bad for it, but also 
I think it's only bad for the way it was built, if we're being, you know, if we're looking at it. Um, Amulet used to be the best deck in the format, and I don't think it was close. It was, like, miles better than everything else when it had Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time got banned, uh, and it was still really good with Field of the Dead without Once Upon a Time. And then Field of the Dead got banned, and it just, like, disappeared from existence. And, well, it didn't disappear, but... It got a lot worse, and that also coincided with Solitude entering the format and uh, Unholy Heat. So it was like your Titan couldn't wasn't Grave Titan anymore, and it was easy to answer. So it makes sense that it got banned, but not that it got banned, but that it dropped off in popularity quite a bit. And Counterspell came out, which is a really efficient way to answer Primeval Titan. That decks didn't really... Like, you had Mana Leak before, but Amulet was the type of deck that could play around Mana Leak pretty easily and just cast their Titan through it. Um, but the recent innovation of playing a ton of Cavern of Souls, uh, I believe, uh, I think his name's Pumped and Wine. He was actually the last season's trophy leader on MTGO. Kind of came up with that, and uh, he played a lot of Cavern of Souls, and nobody's playing Aethergust, which was the other killer for the deck. Like, the worst thing you wanted to see as Titan was Aethergust. You just could never beat the card. It was so brutal. And no one's playing it now, and you have all like, and people think Counterspell's enough, and Counterspell was enough against the version without Cavern of Souls, but this version has a ton of Cavern of Souls, so it's not really enough anymore. Unholy Heat's on the decline. There's still Solitude, which you have to play around, but just like, I think the deck has enough that it is starting to make a comeback, and I think it's getting more, so I think that one's gonna be on the up going forward. Right on. The other decks that had two copies in this top 89 were Red White brought back. Two players brought that. Cool for both of them. Mono Green Tron, Dredge, and Affinity. This is like the most perfect cross-section of contemporary modern I can think of right now. In terms of like what I would expect to see, this is it. Like just in term in the in both the decks and the order of the decks that have been presented to me. Like, I think maybe in paper, I'd see a little bit more Amulet Titan, uh, maybe see a little bit more Tron or something like that. But, like, all these decks are the decks that I expect people to be playing in Vegas. I expect them to be about this representation, although I do think Burn will be a little bit higher. We can talk all about this later. But, like, I'm just I'm just sort of floored by these top 89 decks as being, I think, just a really good representation of the format right now. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing I want to call out among some of these one-of decks in the 5-4 bracket, Mono, Blue, Merfolk, Belcher, is it Ninjas, Asmo, Esper Asmo? Haven't heard about Asmo in a while. Is it Ninjas? Is it Ninjas? There you go. We, I don't think we know what that deck list looks like yet because it didn't make top 32, but, you know, l- let's just put a pin in Belcher and Merfolk just for the sake of discussion later on. When we look at the top 62, basically everything converted downward where it was multiple copies of a deck, with the exception of Tron, stayed at two. Um, yeah. But like, and Mill did. Mill stayed at three. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, basically it's like, this is such a small difference. Like, going from 89 to 62, it's like, it's almost just, it's it's almost inconsequential versus, I think, maybe the top 32. Yes. That Though that said, a lot of the top most popular decks remain that way. So, like, Hammer is still the most popular deck in the 62 bracket. Four-color yeah, Ephemerate exactly. is right behind it. Seven and six copies, respectively. And then Merktide, Control, Jund, and Burn. That's our top six? Yeah. Okay. Let's look at this top eight, because we have a real spicy meatball. The winner of this tournament... Bob 49 on Belcher. 
Belcher, man. Fe- featuring Kahira. <laughs> featuring Kahira, importantly, just in case you just in case you need the the companion. <laughs> Why not? Sure. Okay, so let's let's talk about Belcher because I think we've we talked about it a while ago. Yes. In like one of our episodes a while back. And I think we've sort of been throwing around the term Belcher, like everyone knows what it is, and maybe you do. But essentially, what is this deck trying to do? Just cast a jar- Goblin Char Belcher on four, and then untap and activate it on the next turn? Or if you happen to have a- an Iron Crag feat, you can do that on the same turn, right? Yes, that's that's half of the plan. Okay, what's the other half of the plan? Turn two Blood Moon. Okay. Oh, well, that sounds good. That, I mean, that's the other that, that I, and I think that's part of the deck's success like in its secret is that turn 2 Blood Moon didn't really beat some of the decks a couple weeks ago and now it's beating a lot of decks and yeah, I mean that's there's a big reason why it's winning, right? Just turn 2 Blood Moon people. Not all the not all the decks are running Blood Moon main, right? Or or are they? Like I in this this first place one it looks like he did they this player just has two in the side. It's not even main decking it. Interesting. When no. I play against it on the ladder, it always has it in main. Okay, then consider me wrong. I mean, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to correct you, Zach. I'm just saying, like, I do agree that turn two Blood Moon is always a potent threat. Um, and if this deck is has the ability to do it, that makes perfect sense because they don't really need lands yep. very much. Well, yeah. The, the, I mean, they don't like need that many lands, but a lot of the lands enter tapped, and they want them to tap red anyway. So it's like effectively like ramp for them kind of yeah it's like better right yeah because mm-hmm. it's no longer coming to play tapped yep and they don't have to pay life for their shock lands because they're like they don't have any actual lands so all their lands either enter tapped or they have to pay three life so like blood moon is kind of good for them so there's a little bit of ramp with strike it rich which is a, a card that we did call out in modern horizons 2 spoiler season because all it is is a single mana red sorcery that creates a treasure token and also has flashback if you need it. So that's just some little, your lotus petal, more or less, on Strike It Rich. And then there's some rituals like Pyretic Ritual and Iron Crag Feet, kind of your gigantic ritual, which costs four but makes seven red mana. And then Goblin Charbelcher just looks for lands. And because you have no actual lands, then you know you kill the opponent. There's also the really complex thing that I honestly still don't really understand of Recross the Paths. And I, I don't know if you need to get into the, the weeds on Recross the Pass, but basically lets you stack your whole deck. And and that lets you maybe win on the next turn or the turn after pretty easily and, and convincingly, right? Yeah, I mean, you set it up so that you miracle the Wheel of Fortune. or we, I mm-hmm. think it's called Wheel of Fate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you draw the exact things you need to kill them that turn, whether it be Rituals, a Char Belcher, or Counterspells. Um, so essentially it just says pick your seven and Belcher's sevens are pretty good at winning a one turn if you can pick them. So got it. Reforge the soul. I, I think it's the miracle spell that you're referring to. Got it. Yes, it is. Reforge the soul. Have, have you piloted Belcher ever? Like what do you think about this deck or at least its position today? Yeah, I've never played it myself. Well, I've played like a league with it, but I'm not going to say I'm an expert in it by any means. Um, I will say though. The one thing this deck really, really doesn't want to see is Force of Negation and Thoughtseize. If mm-hmm. you look around the format, not a lot of Force of Negations at all, almost none. Very few Thoughtseizes, and again, very few Ether Gusts, which is a card that is really good against this deck as well, because it's just, everything is green or red, except Charbelcher. But And also, Pithing Needle is pretty annoying. Like, the Urza Sagas decks have mostly stopped running Pithing Needle, but that's a really good card against Belcher as well. Um, so, I don't know. It, it seems like, to me, it feels like Belcher is just kind of 
the style of deck that if someone wants to beat it, they can. But if you forget to bring your sideboard hate for it, you're going to lose to it. And I think everyone forgot to bring their sideboard hate this weekend. Do you think like, you know, one or two force of negation is enough? Is this like a glass cannon deck in that if you deal with their first Belcher, they're basically out of juice at that point? Uh, so if you can counter their first Belcher, you're going to be pretty good. The problem is, is they have a lot of counterplay to that. I mean, they have uh, Pact of Negation, they have Veil of Summer. Um, so it's not just that you need Force of Negation. You need to be able to like win a counterfight on their Char Belcher, which is weird coming from a green-red deck, but that is the case. You need to be able to like counterspell your Char Belcher, then Force of Negation your Veil of Summer, and then kind of go from there. And if you can't do that, you're going to lose to it. And it, that's that's why I'm saying the Force of Negation is really key, because there's just... they don't they, None of the decks had it this weekend, and Belcher just demolished them, just ran straight through all of them. Right on. All right. In second place, a Force of Negation deck, or at least it used to be, it's Mono Blue Merfolk. This one is playing four Subtlety Main, no Force of Negation. It does have four Archmage's Charm, however. Probably didn't have it in time. There's a couple forces in, in the sideboard. but Well, I think that's what you're seeing. Merfolk used to be a Force of Negation deck. It's a Subtlety deck now. Really cool innovation. Really powerful. Um, great, great call. Obviously it worked out really well for them. And I think subtlety is a great card as well. So can't really hate on that, but you can kind of see why Belcher is winning, right? They cut the force negations for something that interacts with creatures and planeswalkers and Belcher is neither of those things. Mm-hmm. Man, this came out of nowhere. Tulio Jody brought it second place. Way to go. I mean, they they did get new weapons and everyone was aware of them, right? Tide Shaper, Savalin of Sea and Sky. I mean, this deck's running subtlety out of Horizons 2. And those are all certainly cards that have inherent power, but does the, the, the rest of the deck keep up with it and can it keep up? And apparently, sure can. Well, definitely. And also, I I follow Tulio on uh, Twitter, and I've seen them post about this list multiple times over the past couple months. And to me, this represents my absolute favorite thing about Modern, the best part about the format. Someone can take a deck... The, mm-hmm. you know, forgotten about, kind of left alone, really put the time in, really figure out the matchups, really tune it, and then profit from doing that. Go do awesome in a tournament, and you just love to see it. Just absolutely love it. Yeah, we were talking about that uh, a week or two ago where it's just like, Modern is the skill format. There's so there's a lot of good cards, a lot of good decks, and it's going to reward skill more often than just pivoting to what you think the best deck is that weekend. I do want to talk about, though, there's no spreading season in this deck which is mind-blowing. Well, that's what Todd Shaper's for, right? I mean, yeah, but don't you want more? I mean, Spreading Seas is just a great card right now. Uh, Only two Lord of Atlantis. It's just like, man, there's not a lot of uh, Cavern of Souls, I guess, because you want to be able to cast subtly more easily. I don't, it's just wowee. Wowee, says Shane. I mean, I agree with you. It looks weird, but also like, I'm not going to question Tulio because they have been putting the time in. So yeah. it's like, oh yeah, you know. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying I know better. <laughs> I'm just like, hey, wow, I wouldn't even think to cut those cards ever. Yeah, I, and me either. So you're right, but clearly they had a plan and a reason. I, I also think it's interesting that they're playing the four subtlety here. I think that is one of the elementals that was really popular at first. It used to be a four of, and all of the rhinos decks has since been replaced by like um, seasoned pyromancer and and prismari commands. Um, but here we have them back I, I i would imagine it's pretty good against the primeval titans because of they do the aether gust thing and sometimes you can even 
have a body left, a, a 3-3 flying body. So I agree with you. My view of subtlety has always been that it's the elemental that answers the other elementals. And if you look around the format, all four of the other elementals are all over the place. They're all doing work. They're all, every single every single deck that's playing them can be playing them. And it's like, well, there's not really a good answer to these things in the format. There's no like way to trade on mana parity with these elementals very efficiently. Mm-hmm. Except subtlety. Subtlety is just the way. And it's like, well, if you're going to expect to play against a lot of solitudes in your creature deck, you might want to have some subtleties. Interesting. Okay, let's take a look at this third place list. QB Turtles, Blue-White Control, looking pretty stock. They did bring back a Cryptic Command. They, I, I think they took out a one of their... They, they went down to three Teferi Time Raveler for a Cryptic Command. A legal spell in modern. That's right. Um, Zach, you know, you mentioned you play a lot of Blue-White Control. I do too. I've, in the past, I've really loved your work on, you know, Blue-White X Control decks. Um, what do you... How do you like these blue eye controlled decks these days? Chalice of the Void, bringing back Spreading Seas, all in on Solitude. I mean, I love them. It's cool to see blue white be good, especially. Um, I played Modern for years where control was not good, like really bad. And then there were some times where it was good, but mostly it was never good. And then we got like this Uro. Mystic Sanctuary Field of the Dead format where control is like the best thing you could possibly be doing for like the first time in my life. <laughs> and I really enjoyed that format and they banned it. Um, so I thought control was gone. But no, it's back. It's back in full force. Uh, I'm a little confused at where the lists have gone. It started from a place that made a lot of sense where we're like, okay, well, we got Prismatic Ending so we can be a Chalice of the Void deck. We can have a one drop that doesn't necessarily need to be a one drop. All oh, that's great. But now we're like still doing that. We're just not even playing Chalice of the Void Main anymore. Like, who needs cheap spells? It's modern. We can just play all things that cost two or more, whatever. So I don't, I don't really understand that. But it's just got a lot of really good cards. Archmage's Charm is an under, like really underrated, underappreciated. I guess it's starting to become more well known now. But for what is it? For what it is, it's a really powerful card. Um, just very time raveler. I honestly like the deck wouldn't work without that card. Yeah. I'm stunned he cut one. Um, but it's just Teferi it's just so much better than it looks. It hoses so many things. It's completely ridiculous. And the deck really just wouldn't work without the card, but it has the card, so it does work. And yeah. How pumped were you when they confirmed that counter OG counter spell was in MH2? I was really excited. I still don't feel like it's significantly better than Mana Leak. I mean it is better, don't get me wrong but I still don't feel like it's a big upgrade. And looking back, I still feel like that was accurate. I think Counterspell is a good card, certainly, um, but not completely broken by any means. And really, the biggest pickup from MH2 for this deck is still Prismatic Ending. That card is just unbelievable. Um, and specifically Prismatic Ending with Teferi, because, like, you know, Sorcery Speed Removal is not great in Modern, but you get this, like... It's about as good as a sorcery speed removal could possibly be, and then you get to have it at instant speed when you're playing your deck, so it's, like, just so good. Right on. One last question about this deck I want to ask you is Sunset Revelry versus Blossoming Calm. How important do you think that Sunset Revelry is at making extra bodies? Because I feel like whenever I play it, I'm never drawing a card. I'm making some bodies and gaining four life. I feel like you're the only one asking this question, Stan. <laughs> Why would I play Sunset Revelry? Well, so, I, I'm sure one other person out there wants to know, and I'm on their wavelength. Okay, so here's your answer: is that you play 
neither, because I hate both of these cards. I don't want to play either of them, and I've mentioned the card I'm playing. Like, I posted, I played a blue-white control list at the SCG, the Invitational. If you go look at the picture I posted on Twitter, zero copies of either card in my sideboard, because I was trying to make room for the card Aethergust, and I think that card is still being slept on. I don't understand why nobody plays it. It's consistently the best card in my blue-white deck. Um, especially like when you're a Chalice of the Void deck, cheap interaction is so premium and you need good cheap interaction. It can't just be mediocre cheap interaction. And that is like as good of two minute interaction as you can possibly be. It's Doomblade counterspell split card that works against Cavern of Souls. It's so strong. Um, I would say that if the deck didn't have a way to gain life, you probably would have to play Sunset Revelry for burn. I think you, that is true. But we do. We, we're playing four lifelinking creatures in the main deck. So wh why? We don't need this thing. Just play the thing that trades one for one with them, get your solitude and play, and start attacking. Yeah, it's funny. I was just I was going through uh, some old deck boxes and putting some stuff back in my, my storage boxes, and there was a couple Aethergust in something, and I was like, oh, remember that card? Remember Aethergust? That was all over the place. And now it's reduced to to an afterthought, except for you, Zach Allen. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a, a small uptick, especially if Amulet Titan continues its its slow climb back into like regular top eights. Yeah, Amulet Titan's good, but it's like it's we're looking at an Omnath deck that's playing Omnath and Fury. Like it's good against that deck. Eternal Witness in some cases, Renin Six. It's good against all those cards. Belcher One. It counters every spell in Belcher. It gets rid of Blood Moons. It hits. Uh, you know, Ragavine. It gets Ragavine out of there. It's a really good card. I don't know. I think the card's just extremely good, and I think it's really slept on. Speaking of Amulet Titan, that is the fourth place finish. Punt then wine. Known Amulet Titan aficionado. Yeah, so is there anything s specific about Amulet Titan and the format right now that makes you makes you understand why Titan's back right now, or it feels like it's back? Or did people just sort of forget how good it was? No, I think... Okay, so... Amulet Titan has a really big following in modern. There's oh, like yeah. a cult, like an Amulet Titan cult. I don't, maybe cult's too strong a word, but there's a crew of people. And honestly, I really just want to congratulate Punt and Wine on this because it seems like this crew has this consensus on like what the build is. And it's really hard for anybody who plays Amulet to kind of differentiate from this consensus. And Punt and Wine looked at all that stuff and was like, okay. Uh, yeah, I understand that you have this consensus, but this consensus is making the deck just disappear from the metagame. I think a lot of this, like the conclusions that the hive mind has come to is wrong, and he re-innovated the deck, and he did an unbelievable job with it. Uh, bringing back a ton of Cavern of Souls was crucial. It was really smart. Yeah. Um, another thing he did, which I think is brilliant, was he made he made the deck into a good Urza Saga deck because it mm -hmm. wasn't a good Urza Saga deck. It was playing Urza Saga because it was a convenient way to get Amulet of Vigor, but it wasn't a good Urza Saga deck, which is crucial when you want to be an Urza Saga, when you want to play the card Urza Saga. You need to be a good Urza Saga deck or you lose to other Urza Saga decks. And he put, first he tried Tireless Tracker. Tireless Tracker, just generating a ton of clues off your land drops, made it a good Urza Saga deck. Now your constructs outside their constructs. Um, but on top of that, he added Karn, uh, the great creator, to tutor for other artifacts and to give you more artifacts out of the sideboard as hate uh, hate pieces to win certain matchups that you would have trouble with otherwise. And all of those things uh, have just added up to him just re-innovating the deck, bringing it back into the metagame. It still has problems. There's still issues with it. Like you said, I was testing it last week, and I, still, I have found there are some issues with it. There are some things you can't get rid of. It's still going to be bad against Solitude in some cases. It's still going to be bad against... Uh, unholy heat in some cases 
Um, and if you're playing Aether Gust, you're going to get them. But when you don't have those things, the deck is really hard to beat. It's really fast, and Saga getting Amulet is really good. Another problem for it is Prismatic Ending answers Amulets, which is kind of a problem. But yeah. one of the other problems for the deck was it was pretty bad against Chalice of the Void to, or countering the Pact, for your Pact for Titan. But the mm-hmm. Chalices are gone now, too, so it just kind of feels like the deck is back, in my opinion. And honestly, Punta Wines, he's a really good player. I've played against him in a bunch of leagues, and I have a lot of respect for his game. Um, but just, you know, really smart, too. I think all the changes he's made is just super good. And, it, like, if you were going to play Amulet right now, I think you would do you could do worse than just straight copy his lists. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a testament to people's dedication, like you said. And also just, you know, people putting in the time and learning the format, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, he wasn't the tro- like being a trophy leader on MTGO is no joke. It's hard. Yeah. And oh yeah. He put in the time, cer- certainly. All right, fifth place we have four color Omnath control featuring Kira by Berna Stories. Another name we see all the time on these lists. I mean, we we know it's in this deck. It's it's blue eye control plus Omnath and Renin six basically, and like expressive iteration. Yeah. I, um, Zach, I think what would be cool. I think I want what we should do is probably get get through this list because I want to talk about these decks and like both more and less detail uh, <laughs> in kind of the main segment. So uh, sixth place, black, white Orzov hammer featuring Luris. That's a DM four times. No dark confidant, a couple ingenious Smith and a single giver. This is like when I build this deck, I'm just like, uh, do I like ingenious Smith? Do I like giver of runes? <laughs> do I like dark confidant? Can't I have both? Why not both? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we continue to see the sideboard tech of Knight of Malice, which I think is very smart because it gets around charismatic ending, gets around solitude. A new tech, piece of tech that uh, Patreon Shark Sharknado Mako Shark was was telling me about, and I see it here is the Cathar Commando. It's the disenchant that can wear a hammer, and it also has flash, which is kind of interesting. Like you could flash this in. And have sort of a surprise kill if the opponent's not expecting it, which is a, a novelty uh, for this deck. I'm team giver for what it's worth. Just want to throw it out there. I am too. I just feel like there's so much interaction right now that I just like, and I just want to get through opposing creatures and I want to prevent against like, interaction. Are, is everyone just off Bob at this point? Was that a, just a brief flash? I think Bob was only ever good in the mirrors. Um, and I don't, I think if you're playing Hammer, the mirror is not the thing you should be scared of. So, yeah, I think people also state that it's good against control decks because it sort of provides some card advantage over time and maybe it's like digs you out of the hole that the interaction can do. But I don't know, you, you play that deck more than I do. I mean, if I'm playing control, I'd much more scared to see a turn one giver than I am a turn two Bob. I'll say that much. Hmm. Okay. And then seventh and eighth place, we have Jund Saga featuring Luris, and that's with Il Nanyo and Jepapan. As the pilots, I feel like, you know, just when we say we haven't seen a lot of Jun Saga, just when we think it's sort of falling off a little bit, it's just like, hey, I'm still here. This is modern. I'm going to have a good week and pilots who like Jun, they're going to win with me. Totally. What's fascinating is the top eight of Sunday got posted by Bamzing and we have first place Belcher, ZYX, Jerry. Second place, Four Color Elementals featuring Kahira by H and Magician. Third place, Glimpse the Unthinkable. Uh, I have their Twitter handles here at Xenowan. Fourth place, Mono White Hammer by Stefan Dima413. Fifth place, Is It Merktide by Sokos13. Sixth place, Belcher yet again by Sandpop. 
fifth place, I mean, six, I mean, this is, you'll see why I'm confused in a second. Seventh place, Five Color Omnath Control by Charlie the Banana King. And eighth place is another Four Color Ephemerate featuring Yorian Deck by Zeruko. If you had told me that this is like a, a top eight in a modern challenge that we're going to see like four to six weeks ago, I would have said something rude to you. <laughs> like the, the, the former terrors of Modern Horizons 2 Modern are like, they're just gone. And they've been replaced with new terrors. Well, welcome to the Belcher meta. Welcome to the Money Pile meta. Uh, is do you think Belcher is uniquely poised to win against like this Money Pile meta? Is that what they're targeting right now? I mean, while the Money Pile decks aren't playing Force Negation, Belcher is going to clean up against them. I think that's just the case. Um, the Money Pile deck is specifically built to be blue white, and I, uh, I guess other Urza Sagas decks in some capacity. Um, it's really hard to outgrind the deck. And if that's the case, then you want to go faster than it, and you want to go faster than it in a way that it's vulnerable to. Um, and Hammer can do that, but its draws that do do that are somewhat inconsistent. Uh, but Belcher is not inconsistent. It's pretty consistent, and it hoses this four-color deck. So, <laughs> I mean, as long as the four-color deck is out there putting up numbers, I think Belcher will continue to do so. That said, the four-color deck could make some changes that would make it a lot better against the deck. I mean, you could just add Force and Negations and Aether Gusts to the board, and all of a sudden the matchup might flip, so who knows? So, so Zach, if I'm hearing you right, you like Aether Gust. I can't... I, I'm going to keep saying it until people start playing them, but yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Right on. I'm, I'm not playing any in Murktide, which has been my deck of choice lately, and I'm like this close to just digging them up in one of my many magic boxes and throwing them in the sideboard. Listen... We're going to get you to play some in Vegas. It's going to happen. <laughs> By the end of this podcast, I'm going to convince you. All right. Um, yeah, so Belcher had a big weekend. I think it will be interesting to see if people can respond to this. It sounds like counter spells and, and really stack-based interaction is the way to go. Um, and maybe making decks a little less soft to Blood Moon will help. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is Thoughtseize. Thought, the deck is not very good against Thoughtseize. It can beat it. It can fail of summer it, but uh, like... I don't know if you've ever played Belcher, but if you get your Belcher thought sees it feels pretty bad. Yeah, it seems like it's relying on like ley lines and Veil of Summers yep. to prevent against that. But that only does so much. Exactly. Sometimes you have those things to stop the thought sees and sometimes you don't. And you know, like for for example, if you like Death Shadow against this deck, good night. Like no shot. Thought sees plus counter or counterspell interaction, no way. Belcher's just zero percent. It just doesn't want to see that at all. <laughs> Well, cool. That that was interesting. You know, maybe we should do some some more Belcher exploration in the weeks to come, especially if that deck sticks around. But for now, let's take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to dive into the mind of an SCG grinder. And hopefully we can absorb everything Zach has to tell us and everything we need to hear to win it all in Vegas, baby. Yeah, first place. First place. Also, I'm going to need you to teach me how to play poker craps. <laughs> Video poker. <laughs> yeah. And what's a good number to, to play in roulette? Backgammon. I can help with poker. I've actually been kind of diving into that one. I can give you some tips oh, there if you want. New Poker Stars sponsored. <laughs> Zach Allen. Yeah, let's get out of here. Let's right. see you in a minute. All right, stay with us. All right, we are back, and in the Dive Down segment, just like Stan said, we're going to be talking to Zach Allen, noted, I mean, I guess it's fair to call you a professional magic player, content 
content creator, podcast guest host, regular podcast host. Um, so Zach, I'm sure people would know you from the SEG tour. The tour has been a little bit derailed for the, for the past year and a half, two years or so. But tell us a little bit about like your competitive past. Like uh, you, you, you were playing a ton, and and why why should people listen to you besides you just being a generally awesome dude? Well, I appreciate the the compliment there. Uh, in terms of magic, I guess my story is kind of a sad one, honestly. So it's one I'm still a little sad about. Don't want to give you like a sob story, but I, I worked really hard. I worked really hard to get good at magic. I wasn't necessarily very good when I started. I started playing in 2014, would lose a lot. I would go to tournaments, lose pretty consistently. Okay, we've Um, been there. We identify with this. Yep. Found uh, some people around me that were better than me, started playing with them a lot, started, you know, working my way up to being able to beat them, started getting on Magic Online, started winning there, uh, then started going to bigger tournaments, grinded them for about a year without any real success. Uh, was about to quit Magic and then top eight at a Grand Prix like the weekend I decided. I was literally, I literally brought all of my cards to a Grand Prix to sell out and then top eight and made it to the Pro Tour and then that Pro Tour like catapulted. And it's weird because like I felt like I was good enough to get there all the, like after all the work I'd put in for like six months before I was like about to quit. And I just hadn't had that moment. I just never had that spark of luck. And then that weekend was finally like this weekend where it was like just everything went right. It was just you know, it's when preparation meets luck, right? When you get both things and that happened. And then from there, I think I, I upped my preparation even further than I had previously. I started talking to better players. I started thinking about the games and in, in the, the game in different ways. Um, started really trying to grind to be like the best on the SCG tour. Um, the pro at that point, the pro tour it was in this weird spot where there was a pro tour but they said there wasn't going to be and they didn't we didn't know that there was going to be an mpl but there was going to be an mpl and i I, there was so much flux i wasn't really sure i had got myself to a spot where i was a silver level pro off one event which is like really hard to do it basically like qualifies you to if you go to the rest of the pro tours that year it's like pretty easy to make platinum which is like kind of an MPL player, but they announced the system was ending. So I was just like, okay, well, I know the SCG tour is good. I like playing modern more than standard anyway. So I'm going to go do that. And then I started trying to grind the tour. Um, really had to fight there. There was, there's a lot, I mean, at, at least when I was grinding it, there was a lot of really good players there. Uh, I don't think I was near the best uh, of them when I started, but I started really putting the work in. Um, and then I found Harlan Fear, who I, I really credit with taking me even further to the next level. And, that I think that put me to the spot where I feel like I was maybe not the best player on the SCG tour, but top, top five. And I feel, you know, I think on any given weekend, I could have been better than all of them. And then COVID hit, uh, I was number one on the leaderboard. I won two out of the five tournaments I had played in that year. <laughs> uh, and I haven't had a big magic tournament since. So <laughs> what a bummer. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, I, I really recognize when, when I felt like you were turning multiple corners, right? Like I, I remember like when, cause I followed you on Twitter for years, right? Because like, you know, as a, as a host of turn one thoughts and stuff like that, just a general ma- magic person. And then I just sort of remember being like, yeah, like Zach is just really doing something right. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you think that was? Uh, okay. So the first one was just preparation time. Uh, like I said, I started, I, the very first thing was I found better players around me and I wasn't even playing online at this point. I just found better players around me. And I asked them to play games with me and I would lose a lot, but 
the better players would play with me because I wasn't mean to them. I, you know, before, I'm still very good friends with some of them and we played and they made me a lot better. Uh, the second one was Magic Online. Uh, getting into Magic Online can be hard, but if you want to be good at Magic, it is by far the best way. You just play against the best people. The best players of the game are on Magic Online uh, and you play against them. Um, and it's really easy to make giant leaps and bounds the first six months you're playing on Magic Online. After that, the next thing I think is getting honest with myself and eliminating bad habits, and that one was a lot harder. Uh, that's the part where I credited Harlan. Harlan really was really good at sitting me down and being like, hey, look, you're really talented. You're doing some things really well. You are coming up with really good insights in some ways, but holy cow, did you have to stop doing this thing or this thing? And like, this is really bad, and you're costing yourself in this way. And Do you remember what some of those were? Uh, okay, well, one was, I just would always force, uh, t- or it was always Tundra or Hallowed Fountain decks in just every format, standard, too. Sure, <laughs> Just sure. anywhere I can play control. <laughs> and he, like, obviously, you know, at that point, I had a reputation for being a good control player. So he wasn't like, dude, don't play control. But he's like, you need to recognize when that's not the right choice. And that's hard to do. And it's hard to put down the thing, especially when you get really comfortable with it. Because I always feel comfortable playing control, but I don't always feel comfortable playing whatever other deck um so just having the like uh you know just ha- just having a friend who is confident telling me that look listen like you need to play this other thing or whatever was really helpful um and excuses like i i don't feel like i made a lot of excuses for losses before but i would chalk things up to bad luck a lot like you know i think i played well that game and I think I got unlucky. And he'd be like, no, I, I watched your game. You made like three play mistakes here. And they're small, but they're mistakes. And you can't chalk that up to luck because it was a mistake on your part. It's like, okay, you're right. Nope, that's that's right. I need to find those mistakes. I need to eliminate them. Um, and it's hard to find that honesty. And honestly, it's hard to find a friend who can see those mistakes and then be honest with you about them. Um, especially because when, you, you know, when you're saying that to a friend, it's so easy for your friend to one, not want to say it because they know it's going to hurt your feelings. And two, it's hard for you to take that in the right way. And you really need that special sort of friendship to like one, you know, be confident to say it to them and know that they're not going to take it bad. Or if they, and honestly, like I didn't always take it great because it, it's hard to hear someone get negative with you, but it's like, I, you know, made sure myself to, you know, stop, think about it. Be like, okay, no, you know what? You're right. And if I, you know, what, if I would get upset about something, cause you know, it's easy to get upset in the moment, come back and apologize and be like, listen, I thought about it. You're right. Um, yeah, I think that comes from like having mutual, like mutually agreed upon goals. Right. Definitely. And I mean, we, we both had the goal to do good on the, the star city games tour. And as it played out, uh, we did, it, we really helped each other. And then, uh, both of my wins the year, you know, COVID shut everything down were team tournaments where I was teaming with Harlan. So um, it makes sense that, you know, we put in this time together and did well. I wish I had a friend like Harlan. He's no slouch <laughs> when it comes no, he's to not. magic tournaments too. No, he's not. He's a, I mean, he's just an awesome dude in general, but then, you know, awesome magic player as well, as it turns out. Would you consider yourself like a modern specialist? I think so. Um, it's definitely my favorite format. I don't think that's close. Uh, I'll play anything. So like, I don't want to say I'm like the type of person that can only play modern because I've also had success in standard. I've also had success in legacy, but um, you know, if I had a choice to play any tournament, it's a modern tournament always. And that's almost always been the case, except for a few periods when I really didn't like the dredge was like way better than everything else. But other than that, I've always loved modern. And yeah, I mean, I would play modern over basically anything else. Right on. 
right podcast for us then. Yeah. I guess you hosted the right podcast too. Yeah, I did host a podcast about Modern, so there's a, yep. What is it about Modern that makes it, you know, so near and dear to your heart? Uh, it's it's what I said earlier about the Mono Blue deck. You can't do that in other formats. You can't pick some off-the-wall deck and actually crush with it. And even if, like, some of the some of the times you're doing that, it's a bad habit, it's still the most endearing part of the format to me. And I still love it. Um, and just, like, the one thing I hate about Standard is there's no deck identity. There's no, like, community formed around a deck. It's just play, these are the three decks you can play, play them. And in Modern, you get these weird niches. It's like, oh, we're all the Merfolk players, and they're all, like, they like each other, and they work together, and it's like, you go to a tournament, you're like, oh, there's the other Merfolk player. They awesome, all worship you know? Nikachu. That's also probably true. <laughs> but the same thing for Control, and honestly, like, that's, I love going to a modern tournament and I see every time I go to one, there's some control player that I haven't met yet that comes up to me and says, Hey, you know, I play control. I've watched your stuff. And it's like, that's just the best thing. And I, I, obviously like it sounds, I don't know, maybe like I've got a big head or something from hearing it, but like, it's not the, the worshiper that they've like seen my deck or whatever. It's just like getting to meet someone else that loves control as much as I do, because I do love control. Like I love playing yeah. it and I like getting to meet other people that are like that. And like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm weird because I actually, like, foil out my deck and it's not, like, to show off or anything. because I actually just love this deck. I have other decks. They're not foil. I have this foil modern deck and I love it. Um, and when I see, I see other people come up to it with, like, their foil decks of modern and I love that. I love it. They're, like, they sit down. You can tell they love this thing and it's just cool to see that, you know, they put their heart into it. You know what I mean? Dude, totally. I mean, like, I understand why people would walk up to you. You're the reason I bought Esper Charms. Like, yes. otherwise, I wouldn't own them. <laughs> and I, like, cast them once in my life, but I'm never getting rid of them. That's, that is my favorite. That is still one of my favorite cards of all time. I can't I can't describe how much of a joy that single event was. It was I so can't quit you, Esper Charm. Oh, so good. I still try to play. Like, I, I still fire up a league with Esper Charm in a deck, like, once every two months. And it's like, oh, this isn't good anymore. But yeah. I'm still going to try. All right. So, speaking of modern tournaments, just out the gate, are you playing in Vegas? I am not playing Vegas, so uh, if you're wondering, is Zach holding anything back? Is he hiding the tech? No, the tech is Aethergust play it. Okay, sweet. So are you going to be in Vegas, or, or just not going to go? I am not going. No, I... Um, you said that you're, you're getting some... Uh, you have an entrepreneurial spirit lately. Are you doing like a, your own game store? Well, it's not my own game store, so I have started running R.A.W., which is a pretty well-known game store in Michigan. Oh, yeah, yeah. R.A.W. Hobbies, or they sponsor folks, right? Yep, R.A.W. Hobbies and Games, and I've started running a lot of... I'm not running the store completely, but I'm running a lot of parts of the store. Um, so I've been you know been working weekends and doing some content there, um, and I made, I made the decision just because of how close Vegas and SCG Con were to each other that I had to pick one, and I picked SCG Con. Perfect. You got to go home. That kind of makes sense where you belong. Yep. Well, and originally I heard that SC or Vegas wasn't going to have coverage. So it's like coverage is one of my favorite parts of events. Even when I'm not on it, I just like, I would go from events that I was doing bad at drop and just go watch coverage. Like I liked it that much. Uh, and no coverage made me sad. And it turns out SCG Con didn't have coverage either. So I was still sad, but. It makes me wish that I really liked old magic set. I, I'm, I've only been really been playing since like 2014. And so like I, I could listen to the receivables with, with Patrick and Cedric uh, because they're just such an amazing duo in the booth and on the podcast. I know, but just like, I don't know these sets. 
Like I, I have no nostalgia for Weatherlight. Sure, <laughs> I'm with you. I don't have nostalgia for a lot of them, but yeah, for me, I, I'm with you. I love that podcast just because of their their interactions together, their camaraderie, and it's like just them talking to each other just makes me remember the SCG tour days. It's yeah. just like watching and listening to it was just so nostalgic for me that I've still listened to every episode. Yeah, we we had uh, Patrick on for a bonus episode a while ago, and he's just he's just one of my favorite minds in the game. He's just, he, he always has great takes and I think he thinks about the game in great ways. So yeah, they're uh, they're awesome gentlemen. I can't wait for the SUG tour to be back. Yeah. I, just as an aside, shout out to patron Andy who got us a, a Pat Sullivan cameo video. You can, yes, you can exactly. go over to uh, twitter.com slash the dive down to see a special video. Pat, made for the dive down nation talking about yeah, modern. It's awesome. Yeah. It's hilarious and great. I will say um, Patrick was also absolutely one of my favorite people on the SCG tour. I didn't get to meet him very often. Uh, cause I kind of got deep into the tour later, but, uh, all of the like post tour stuff I got to do with him, like after the tour events, just absolutely one of the like best people you can hang out with. So fun. So awesome. I did get to do a cube draft with him once, which was like, just awesome. I got to do this cube draft at the Players' Championship where Patrick was drafting on the other team and Cedric wasn't in the draft, but he was standing over Patrick's soldier, shoulder watching him draft and heckling me, just like telling me I was going to screw up the cube draft. And it is still like my favorite memory from the entire event. I just love it. So good. So speaking about modern, in the earlier days of MH2, you were pretty vocal on Twitter about Mardu midrange and like playing red, black, but splashing white for prismatic ending basically because um, Sanctifier and Vec was just, you know, such a beater against these black-red strategies that were, you know, pretty good for a while, then they dropped off a bit. Maybe we're seeing a slight resurgence of them now, but they're still, like, you know, pretty tier 2, 2.5. I mentioned last week you and I played against each other on Moto. You were on Amulet. This is a two- to three-part question. What are you liking in Modern right now? Like, what do you think are some of maybe the best strategies? Um, We have a list of decks here that, Maybe we'll get through them one by one, but I'm I'm kind of curious to hear like what do you think the format is about right now, and and what should people really be thinking about if they're going to engage either in league play or in higher level uh, modern competition. Okay, so in my mind, the format like people make these jokes about it's MH2 the format, it's Modern Horizons the format, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I don't even really think it's a joke anymore. I yeah, think. I was thinking about that today too, and I was like, oh. But that keeps changing too. Like there was a while where it was all about DRC. And yep. It was definitely all about Monkey for a minute. But like DRC and Monkey and Unholy Heat certainly present now. But it's like I think Solitude is more present than they are. Sure. So you're right that it's changing. But in my mind, the format is centered around one to ten really powerful cards. And this isn't that different than modern in the past. Honestly, it's always been there are some number of best cards. You should be playing these best cards if you are serious about winning. And I think that is still true. The list is longer than it's been at times. I mean, I remember times where it was just like, there was Faithless Looting and like... <laughs> Aether I'm Vial. Sure there was other, yeah, like Aether Vial maybe and Thought Season. Like you just shouldn't be playing anything else. There's more than that right now. So I think it's in a good place. But like you need to be playing some of these good cards. And yes, a lot of them are from MH2. Um, and I, I don't know if you heard me talking previously about being a good Urza Saga deck. Urza Saga is one of them. And there's a lot of decks built around this card, Urza Saga... Yeah. And you need to be a good Urza Saga deck. And that's part of why people play 
it like if you're gonna be an Urza Saga deck, if you're gonna choose to be this thing, you need to be good at it. And um, that's kind of the same thing going on with this four color deck. Is like, well, the other thing we've identified is that these elementals are really good. I mean, who could have seen it coming, right? Pitch pitch free spells are good. Yeah, we tested uh, over time with Force of Will. We know these are good. Well, they turns out they are very good, and the decks that are really good at using them, better than other decks using them, really good, as it turns out. And it's like, well, what do you need to be good with these cards? Well, you need to be able to make up for their negatives, which in this case is card disadvantage. And the four-color decks and the blue-white control decks are both really good at recuperating the cards you lose from pitching. Um, so, yeah, I mean... <laughs> It, it, currently in modern, you need to find some of these really good cards and you need to find ways to put them together and utilize them. And while people will say there's no way to innovate or whatever, like these are just the good decks, I strongly disagree. I think the innovation right now in the format comes from finding new ways to combine these cards, which might sound kind of, I don't know, weird or off the wall or whatever, but I think you legitimately could build a deck no one's seen or played with before as long as it's incorporating some of these cards and win an event. Yeah, it's interesting that you should put it that way. Especially, you know, it sounds to me like MH2 just rebuilt the pillars of the format. And like for a long time, the pillars were like Nazis, you know, once upon a time, Faithless Looting, Aether Vial, whatever. And like now, deck, nowadays, like we see Thoughtseize, we see Aether Vials, but that's just like not necessarily the backbone of an entire format. What's wild, and I'm, I'm sure I'm a little bit wrong here, but I was thinking about the impact Modern Horizons, and this is this is a total tangent, so I apologize, but I was thinking about the impact that Modern Horizons 1 had on the format, and that was huge, right? And we had some bannings from it, we had some we had some quick bannings, we had some slow bannings, but that turned the format on its head a little bit as well in a lot of ways. And then I look at the cards of Modern Horizons 2, and it's doing it again in an even stronger way, and then a lot of the Modern Horizons cards, Modern Horizons 1 cards, are like relegated to my deck boxes. I mean, it's like the storage boxes now. And it's like, is this the new, this is probably just the new cycle of modern, which is a little bit discouraging and a little bit worrisome because is three just going to push the power level that much harder? And I don't really want to go down this conversational path that much, but I, I think that the the core of what you're saying, Zach, is 100% right, which is like, we have really good cards and I think our job is to figure out, and that's what everyone's doing right now, is figuring out the best way to use those cards. And that's why I think we have seen such a dynamic shift in the meta over like the last three months. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I will say, though, that to your point of like, are my Modern Horizons 2 cards going to get pushed out of the meta? Um, and, and like you're saying, your MH1 cards did. Well, I think to some extent, yes, they did. But also some other Modern Horizons 1 cards have like elevated in the meta, right? Like Archmage's Charm wasn't really a huge player and now it's like a staple of the format. And I think that's just par for the course in Modern. And like you mentioned with Thoughtseize and Aether Vial, like they're not pillars of the format anymore, but they're still strong role players. And I think we're just going to see this going forward where it's like, yeah, some of these cards that are dominant from MH2 will eventually be replaced by cards that are stronger. And then these cards will just be supporting role players and they'll just be part of your modern staple collection that you'll play in some decks eventually. And I I think that's healthy for the format. I People are like, well, you know, I don't want my cards to, you know, lose value or get banned or whatever. And it's like, well, I, I get the banning stink, but like, I think it's healthy for the churn to happen and new cards that come out. So there's still a puzzle because otherwise eternal formats do get stale. Like, you know, I like Let's Legacy, see. but oh my God, like it's the same thing it was 10 years ago. And yeah. I, it's good for me because it's the type of magic I like playing, but I can't imagine, like if it got played regularly, I can't imagine that format 
still being healthy. It's just tough when it's just still dominated by the exact same card it was 10 years ago. For sure. Right on. So we've been focusing a lot on the podcast in the last few weeks in, in our Road to Vegas series, which we have been focused on kind of deck selection and looking at what are considered sort of the, the best decks in the format, playing them a little bit ourselves, and then talking about them with the other hosts, right? And the goal is to, for us to understand kind of what would we play in Vegas? With that said, with Shane's beautiful setup, you know, Gauntlet Throne, do you have a deck in your mind that you think is actually just the best deck in the format right now? Yeah, put them on the spot. I like it. Uh, No, I actually don't think there's a best deck in the format right now. Ooh, nice. I like it. A, a, good, a good answer. Honestly, like, it's better for me if there is. So, you know, in terms of, like, me trying to win an event. Um, So I, I actually do not think there's a best deck in the format currently. Cool. All right. So what I want to do is maybe a little lightning round. And I know for three people like us that like talking... Um, it might be challenging to do a lightning round, but let's talk about maybe like eight, nine decks that would be considered the best decks in the formats. And then just quickly say like maybe why you would or wouldn't want to play that deck in modern right now. Cool. Yeah, I'm game. Also, just for the record, when you mentioned that we played on Amulet and I was a fan of uh, the Black Red Darcy decks earlier, mm-hmm. um, I will still say I've been true to blue white control the whole time. But <laughs> when you see me playing these things in leagues, it's because I'm just testing them out. So I'm actually pretty well prepared for this because I have tested basically everything recently. Oh, my God. I've played so many stupid decks and leagues that I'd be so embarrassed <laughs> to bring to the LGS. But, you know, we're we're there for the people. We're testing on their behalf. Yeah, that's what I tell myself every time I register Storm Herald. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yep. All right uh, the elephant in the room, perhaps. Uh, Hammer time. Why? What do you think the strengths and weaknesses? Why you would or wouldn't play this deck? Hammer is the best Urza Saga deck. It is using Urza Saga incredibly well. Um, it is better than any other Urza Saga deck because it has more artifacts in play, um, and combines that with having access to quick kills. A lot of the other Urza deck's problems are either they only have quick kills, aka Amulet, or they are only grindy, aka Jund. Essentially, Jund can be fast, but mostly only grindy. Um, hammer forks you and makes you respect both things. And that's what its strength is. I mean, it's literally that. Would you play it? I guess that, that for everyone, would you, would you play it or not? So w- I would play it. I have played it in events. I would not be scared to play it. Uh, that said, I would just pick something else because it's not really my style of a deck, but like, I wouldn't say you were wrong for choosing it either. Doesn't it feel like Hammer is one of those decks that, because it's been around since before MH2, it did get better with MH2, but people like, you know, in part because of it, had to learn how to play against Urza Saga. Um, perhaps it's one of the reasons why we even see Control playing Spreading Seas again. Um, it, it, don't you feel like Hammer has a bit more of an uphill battle right now just because of all the solitudes and furies and like people understanding that removal is sometimes just the best strategy against it rather than like old school artifact hate. Yeah. I mean, ham. So you're right. It's got a lot of uphill battles and it's a known quantity at this point. So there's a lot of people prepared for it that have game plans for it. Um, and hammer is also really hard to play. It looks simple when you play with it. It doesn't look like it'd be that complicated, but it yeah, is stupid, it's stupid hard. Yeah. It's super hard. And you get so punished for making like, uh, just a slightly incorrect line on like turn two, like you play the wrong lane on turn two and they can have crippling effects like six turns later. Um, so it's a really hard deck to play, which is, Part of the reason I wouldn't play it because I'd be scared I just wouldn't play it well. 
Um, but yeah, like you said, it has they have all these tools against you, and you can just still beat them. Like that's the beauty of the deck is you have the ability to beat those things. You just have to play through them, and you have to play well, and that's a tough ask. I mean, you got to be really confident in your hammer abilities. Is it unique in that regard, where it's like this linear aggro deck? It, it you know, it's it's like very prowess or infect adjacent, but because of Luris and because it has like all these potentially mid range grindy tools, that it makes it harder to play than you know some of its prowess infecty forefathers it's definitely harder to play than prowess i don't even think that's close prowess was not that hard to play in my opinion i mean i'm not gonna say it's an easy deck but it wasn't nearly as hard as hammer uh i think it's pretty comparable to infect infect was a really tough deck to play against or to play with and against two for what it's worth um and i think if you were good at infect you'd probably be pretty good at hammer if you put some time in that's kind of how i i don't know that's kind of how i feel about it i think they're comparable all right this next deck this one is very near and dear to my heart and I think it's what I'm playing in the main event, um, unless you talk yeah, me out I of it right now. I knew now. this. <laughs> um, and that's Is It Murktide. Basically, like next to Jun, it's the only monkey pile we still have. Maybe it's the best Unholy Heat deck, also next to Jun. But unlike the Jun decks, it runs Counterspell, which is one of my favorite cards of all time. How do you feel about Murktide, especially as a control lover? Uh, I would not play Murktide over other blue decks, me personally. My one issue with Murktide, the one thing I would say that is bad about it, is that it doesn't have a companion. Uh, I think companions are a game changer for modern, and decks should be stretching to play them where they can. That said, in terms of decks that don't have a companion, it is the clear best one, in my opinion. And I think the like you're essentially giving up uh, a companion for just the card Murktide, Basically, um, but you also get Blood Moon, and I think that's a big enough reason to do it. I think you can argue that. Um, Blood Moon is uniquely positioned to be really good against a lot of the formats, so I can buy it. Um, and I think I think Murktide's in a spot where the old lists weren't great, but if you incorporate some new tech and really get some good game plans in, it can be very good. And I think I think it's a couple spells away from being excellent, but you really got to work on those last couple slots because I never felt like it actually found a solid list. Like I always felt like the first 56 cards were great. And then after that, it was just missing like four cards. And I think if you figure out those four cards, you're going to be in a good spot. Is it all force of negations? Like this is one of those decks where I'm like, why are you only playing one force of negation? I don't see. I don't know. I don't have the good answer for you. I've tried it. I'm, I think force of negation could be one of the cards. I also think brazen Rowers almost a must play at this point. I really felt like the deck wanted another threat, but I couldn't find a good threat. But I also felt like it wanted Prismatic Ending, but then Prismatic Ending made it hard to play Blood Moon, and that was awkward Yeah, because you wanted Blood Moon. So I think the answer is just you want to play Brazen Bower because it's like a really bad Prismatic Ending that's also a threat. Um, But you could just play both, I guess. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't have a great answer there, but I think... It's the Royal Scions. That's that's the new threat. It's Monastery Swift Spear, the former best creature in the format. I could I don't I don't think it's Swift Spear. I could buy <laughs> Scions. I could buy Scions. I don't hate it. Giving Murktide Trample is real, I think, and also just like fueling the graveyard for Murktide is somewhat real. Raga what it gets plus two plus one first strike, right? Is that or and, first strike uh, and first trample? strike and trample, yeah. Okay, so it does work with Ragavan. That's not horrible. Yeah, I mean someone played it a couple weeks ago and Stan just keeps hoping. He just keeps hoping. He's showing us a, a full art, a flart Royal Scions. Guys, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm playing one Scions in my Vegas Merktide list. Right, Along well, with anyway. one Bower oh, and one Force oh, Negation. God. 
Look, if we it. can, if we, if we want to put the Royal Scions in, I'll buy it. But you need to also tell me you're playing some Furies and Force Negation so that we can pitch that thing. I, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have any Furies. I do have one Force main and one or two in the side. See, that's a card I think the the deck should play because you've already given the companion. So let's get a Fury somewhere in the seventy five. Like maybe just one in the sideboard. But like, I want a Fury. Like, can we play yeah. one? Free spells are great, man. All right, up up next on our list. Okay, you're gonna have to be brief. Azorius Control. What do you think the strengths and weaknesses of this deck are? Why would or would you not play this particular deck right now? I mean, Chalice of the Void. Like, it's the best Chalice of the Void deck in Modern. If you get to the point where you have decided that you don't want to be playing Chalice of the Void, then don't play this deck. That's that's my take on it. Um, I, I mean, straight up. Like, if you think... If you're seeing, you're seeing these lists online that are cutting Chalice of the Void and they're still doing okay, well, it's like, okay commit like either cut chalice of void and play one mana spells because one mana spells are great or put chalice of void back in your deck don't half see this because you're hurting yourself on both fronts um so either be a chalice of the void deck or don't and play one mana spells because i i think the the non-committal nature that people are in right now is a bad place to be and actually i've been brewing with ways to to build control decks that aren't playing chalice of the void and you wanted to ask me about a different deck later so we'll we'll get to that but so would you would you play would you play Azorius Control with Chalice in at Vegas if you were going? Uh, probably. I think I probably would register it just because I know it'd be the thing that gives me the most joy and like the thing I would enjoy the most. <laughs> I'm not sure it's the best deck because I don't think Chalice is actually positioned great right now. Um, yeah. But I'd be pretty happy to play it. I like it. Yeah, I think the the blue white QB Turtles deck in the Saturday Showcase was playing like three Chalice main. And that felt really aggressive in a format where Rhinos um, is on the downswing. Maybe it's still good against Junt. Like, I think that's kind of one of the main reasons you want to play Chalice these days is Junt can yeah. sometimes fold to it. Well, Blue-Red too. I mean, Blue-Red has a lot of one-mana spells, so getting Chalice on one there is good. Um, it's actually better against the four-color deck than it looks just because Ephemerate is so backbreaking against your deck that just, like, having always counter Ephemerate in play is, like, not that bad. But, yeah, it's... I don't know. Um, it's actually really good against Hammer Time too. That's the other thing yeah. people don't really right, understand. Yeah. Um, Chalice on one is like kind of backbreaking for Hammer Time. Chalice on zero is also pretty good against them, right? Just to De- deal with like Mem Knights and Ornithopters. It, yeah, Ch- if you get, well the 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 game plan is get Chalice on zero and Chalice on one, and then Hammer Time is locked out. Right. <laughs> Having said that, I did lose at the Invitational to Hammer Time with Chalice on zero and one, but I don't want to get into that. Listen, every deck has a corner case. Yeah, to win through. All right, how about the the more expensive, greedier version, which is the four-color Yorian strategies? Yes, I guess just m- the money pile decks, like the Omnath ones, the Yorian ones. Like, what what do you think? Why, why should people play these? I mean, if you want to be blue-white control, it's a good place to go. Um, I think the deck has a lot of play. I think it's playing a lot of really good cards. So in terms of all of those things, you're doing a lot of things really well. But you're going to have to kind of concede that you're going to get cheesed out a lot by decks that are more consistent. Like, Yorion is... I can't stand playing with Yorion. It's one of my least favorite cards of all time. Um, Just from the sense that, like, it's so good, I need to play it. But, like, having an 80-card deck is maddening. It's so inconsistent. And you just, like, never see your sideboard cards. Um, That I just... I can't stand it. So, it you know, you have this... I have all these really good cards. And then you have this also... Okay, did I really need to draw the fourth Omnath here? Like, could I couldn't I have drawn one any of the one mana spells that would have you know helped me interact situations going on? Um, 
still a really good deck. I don't think anything's wrong with it. If you expect a bunch of slower matchups, you're going to win all of them. So that's great. But I mean, be prepared to get cheesed out by Hammer and to lose to Belcher because you can't draw your sideboard cards against them. I feel like I played Hammer versus a four-color control deck at the LGS this Friday and just in doing some final prep for Vegas. And man, I just I just felt like the four-color deck just thwomped me. Like just had you know they have the the fury is ridiculous the you know prismatic endings ridiculous red and six can be great I I felt like they there's so many answers like what what are the things that you think face up pretty well against like these these four and five color decks right now because I feel like they're sort of slowly taking over the format and that happened in Pioneer I remember with like the Niv Mizzet decks. Where like the 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 slow like chonky red style decks got eaten alive by the new visit decks, and then sort of the aggressive decks could come back in and and win. But I don't know how well the aggressive decks face off against these. I feel like you're saying like decks with with blood moon or can offer a different kind of angle of attack are also uniquely good against these as well. Yeah, I think any blood moon deck is going to be good against the four color deck. I do think hammer is good. Um, from what you're describing, it sounds like they drew a lot right. of their good cards against you. But Yeah, it's like it's one match. Yeah, exactly. But in my experience, that's not always the case. And I think if you play this four-color pile and you play against Hammer three or four times in the event, you'll probably go two and two. I think that's you know, like you have the tools to beat it, but you're not always going to draw them. And a good Hammer player is favored. I strongly believe that. Um, I mean, maybe, you know, the four-color player draws three Furies or something. And you're just never beating that. But... Hammer just has the tools. It's really hard, but you can find spots where it's like, you know what, I think they have Fury. I'm going to get this Hammer and play. I'm going to get it attached to something, and Fury doesn't do anything now. Or you think they have Solitude. All right, I'm going to start going really wide with stuff and make sure I get my Luris quick. And, you know, the Hammer player can beat these things, but like I said, it's tough. You need a lot of experience with Hammer. You need the reps. So, um, yeah, I mean, the four-color deck will probably beat inexperienced Hammer players and struggle against better ones. Yeah, and I, I definitely have felt like an inexperienced hammer player lately. I you was know, sort of just like seeing how I felt about it again, and uh, yeah, like you said, it's a game. It's a definitely a deck that needs needs reps because it's intricate. And like you said, I think one of the biggest things is like I'm going to play stuff out, and then I'm going to put a hammer on something, and then I'll win. But like the, I think the real thing is not giving your opponent windows, like you just said. Like if you can, like you have to play around stuff. You have to not open those doors for your control opponent to walk through. And that's really hard to learn how to do. Yeah, so Ari Lax described Hammer the best way I've ever seen it described. Uh, I think it was a week ago or something, where he said, Hammer's like playing chess. Your goal is to constantly put your opponent in check and make them get out of check. And sometimes they will, and sometimes they'll beat you. But if you keep putting them in check, eventually they'll fall into checkmate, and you'll have them. And that's what you're trying to do. And it's hard to find the way to put them into check all the time because you need to be thinking three turns ahead. Like, I need to put them into check this way twice, and then on this turn I'll have a window to put them into check a different way this way. And that's tough. That's really high-level magic. It's hard to do, but, you know, the best players can find that. And if you put some time in, you'll start seeing those lines. So, I mean, like I said, it's a tough deck, but if you figure it out, if you get used to the play patterns, you can start finding those checks easier. That's so interesting. Ari Lax, what a mind. He's he is brilliant. I Ari is Ari is like my course. my definitely in, on the top tier of MTG takes. I think, uh, and I'm glad that they have a podcast I can listen to every week with Dominaria's Judgment because it's really good. Oh yeah, they're great. I love them. All right, let's have let's have uh, let's let's go through some less popular ones pretty quickly uh, because I do want to talk about like tournament prep and stuff like that with our last half hour. Uh, Burn. 
Yes, no, why? Uh, I wouldn't play Burn right now. I would rather play Mill, if I'm being honest. I think Burn mm. and Mill are a lot alike, and I think Mill is better positioned than Burn. Mm-hmm. Currently, for the like while there's all these four color money piles. Um, but I also recognize that Burn just has this following, and you're always going to play against Burn no matter what you do. So <laughs> yeah. it's part of magic. Yeah, I feel okay. I am likely, I'm taking like three or four decks, and I'm only doing side events. And I think Burn is definitely going to be one of those side events. And I think that uh, it, I think it completely annihilates most hammer players. I think that it would lose to like really good hammer players, but I don't think I'm going to be playing against a lot of the most expert hammer players in side events. That's probably fair. I will say the only time I've ever lost a burn with hammer was when I got deflecting palmed and I've been deflecting palmed yeah. a few times. Oh, yeah. I, so I, I, I did that. I did, I did that today. It was awesome. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I did that before, before the podcast, I was playing a burn burn league. I got my first one. Uh, uh, rhinos. Yes. No. Why? So I would have said, Absolutely not a little bit ago. With Blue White moving away from Chalice, I'm more intrigued, but like I you play against Teferi every round with that deck. <laughs> and I really just uh, I just don't want to play against that much Teferi. Um the other thing that would really scare me about Rhinos is Dovin's Veto, which I also expect an uptick on to help you beat uh Belcher going forward. And yeah, it it really doesn't you really don't want to play against Owen's Veto with Rhinos either. You just have no counterplay to the card. Uh, Rhinos is another deck that eschews having a companion. D- do you think it suffers similar to Murktide for that reason, where it's just like you're missing out on this super powerful tool that like more than half of the rest of the format has access to? Yes, kind of. Um, I wouldn't say it's not. It's really not a deck that like likes the companion mechanic. I guess I'd say. The deck is, like, at its heart, a really big tempo deck. Like, it's weird because you're a tempo deck that takes turns one and two off, generally. But you're essentially trying to compress the game into, like, three turns and take a bunch of game actions in three turns. And it's really good at doing that, but, like, that's not really what the companion mechanic wants to do. Like, the companion mechanic, since it's changed to, like, having the three mana added to your hand rules text or whatever, has just become significantly grindy. Like, that's just what the mechanic is doing. Um, so Rhinos just doesn't really want that, I guess, but any deck not playing a companion is suffering from not having one because they're just so free, which is kind of the inherent problem with the mechanic. Interesting. Um, how about Jun Saga? Like next to Hammer, this is the other big Saga deck and one that you would think would kind of suffer for playing Saga because of what it's doing to the mana base. And yet here we see two copies of Jund appear in the top eight of the showcase. It's super resilient. I feel like whenever I'm playing Murktide against Saga, I just have nothing that I can do to get there unless they like draw nothing but air. How do you feel about the deck? I I think Jun Saga is worse than a lot of decks at being some form of a card. Like I think it's a worse Saga deck than Hammer Time. I think it's a worse uh Ragavan DRC deck than Shadow and uh is it Murktide? And I think it's a worse Ren to Six deck than Four Color Money Pile. But it's doing, it's playing a lot of the good cards. So like, it's never going to be too much worse, if that makes Mm. sense. Mm -hmm. Like, and I I think that's symptomatic of like what it did, right? Like it made the top eight and then immediately lost. Both copies did that. Um, And I think you're going to see that a lot with the deck where it's like, I think it's wrong. Like, I think you should be playing another one. But like, if it's wrong, like it's not by very much because you still have a lot of really good cards in your deck. So I don't know that's kind of my take on the deck. I tried it. I thought it was I thought it was good, but I could do something better. A classic Jun synopsis. 
you ask me. Yeah, that sounds kind of like Joan, just historically, I guess. That's pretty fair. All right, we, we had mentioned Amulet. Um, would you play Amulet in a tournament right now, this week? Uh, I would. I actually think that the big 7-drop whatever from the new set is pretty cool. Um, I would play Amulet with a lot of Caverns main. I think Caverns really important for the deck. And yeah. I like Karn, too. I think Karn just, like... Karn, like, lets the deck beat a bunch of the random decks that, like, you wouldn't beat. Like, you know, you play against a Shadow deck, and all of a sudden you have Graveyard Hate when that matters, or Murktide, and you get to mm-hmm. Tormod's Cryptum, and that matters. Or you play against Belcher, and your Karn gets a Pithing Needle, and all of a sudden you're just good. Or I guess that you have a Karn in play, so they can't Belcher you anyway. But, you know, just... It's also really fast. Amulet is still really, really fast. So right. I think with the stuff happening recently, it is good, especially while people aren't playing the Aethergust. As soon as the Aethergust hit, though, get out of there. <laughs> when you see Aethergust again, get out of there. Don't play Amulet. All right. And then the last one on our list, um, unless there's any other ones that you think we overlooked, is Lurus Piles. So this is like Red Black, maybe Grixis Control, maybe even Grixis Shadow. Like, What do you think about some of these low-to-the-ground Lurus mid-range aggro decks? Yeah, thoughts of these decks, Mardu. I think these are the most slept on decks of the things we've listed here. Um, I still think they're really good. I still think uh, Shadow's really good. I still think the Mardu deck's really good. I think there hasn't been a lot of working on them because people assume it's a known like a known entity, but I think that's just not the case. And with the churn of the rest of the format, these decks also needed a churn. Um, and I think they have an insanely good matchup against the four-color decks, which is one of the biggest reasons to play it, in my opinion, because I think the four-color deck is like overrepresented. Um, and I actually think they're pretty good against Hammer, too. I think they were bad against Hammer when Hammer had all the Sanctifiers, but Hammer does not have a lot of Sanctifiers right now if you look at their sideboard. So given that's the case, I actually think your Dolores piles are really well-positioned. Interesting. Yeah, Spike's been doing well with them. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I would think that... like at least the death shadow versions would really suffer against any deck with solitude. So death shadow itself does suffer against solitude like that card. But like, if you look at the deck, that's just like four of your threats and like mm-hmm. you, you like you have death shadows in your deck, but you're not really a death shadow deck. You're a dress down deck. Well, like you are a dress down deck, <laughs> but like you're a Ragavan DRC deck. Right? right. And honestly, the shadow thing I think is way overblown because, uh, when I was playing the deck, it was like, oh, shoot, it's going to be a really big blowout if they use their Solitude on my Shadow. And then you, like, play out the shit. You're like, oh, I'm going to play it anyway. And then they do. And you're like, okay, well, I'm back to 13. This stinks. And then you draw your Crocs, and you're like, oh, they already used their Solitude, so they can't kill my Crocs, so this is fantastic. Right. The Crocs was the card I wanted to stick anyway. Um, So, like, yeah, the card Shadow is bad against Solitude, but the deck isn't. So take that for what it is, I guess. Um it's, it's almost like a misnomer. Like, people just, like, equate this thing to being so good against Shadow, and then they just don't realize that, like, you shouldn't even use it against Shadow to begin with, and you really need to beat Luris and Croxa because those are the cards in the deck that are actually good against you. All right, final question in, like, kind of the, the deck rundown. Anything you think is underplayed, underrated, underdog right now that that you think people are, are should be playing more of? Uh, Okay, so... The, okay, so I've been posting a lot about Reanimator. I think Reanimator is uh, due for some a breakout here, and I am pretty scared that someone's going to figure out how to put Holebreaker Horror, which is like a new card from the new set, into yep, Reanimator yep, yep, yep. and like really break Persist because that card is disgusting uh, with Persist and free spells. And I have a feeling that's coming. I don't think we are there yet. I don't think anyone's found it yet, but like I've got a feeling that's on its way. So 
take that for what it is. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Reanimator really, really break out in Vegas. Yeah, I think there, I had a mild, mild expectation of it breaking out at the SEG Invitational. I know a, a number of people brought it, like uh, some other podcast hosts, like Ross and yep. uh, was you know was on it. And I don't think it did particularly well, and I don't think they particularly loved playing it. But I think that you're right in that there's always going to be some new tools. Well, okay, to, to be in it too. So I actually talked to Ross that weekend, and you know, hung out with him a little bit. Um, side note: Ross is awesome, one of the coolest people I've ever met on the SCG tour. So oh, great! Ross dude. was the, our first guest in the early days of the show. No, really- Yama Killer was first. Oh, that's but Ross. Ross was an early contributor to our. I, I think it was like back to back weeks, wasn't it? Wasn't it Yama and then Ross the following week or something? Like yeah, that? it was pretty. It was pretty awesome. One two punch. But yes, go on. Yeah. Anyway, Ross is awesome. But yeah, I talked to him. Reanimator was missing a threat to reanimate. Like Archon's great, and then after that, what are you reanimating? Nothing. Nothing's good. Uh, I think this Holbreaker horror card is good, and I think people aren't like they're starting to realize like it's broken in standard, and like they're casting it for seven mana. Yeah. I think people are gonna change their tune real quick when that thing costs two and it's just a six six instead of being a seven seven. Yeah, I probably should get my foils. It's it's a six seven. It still dodges unholy heat because it. it it's actual text is 7-8. Oh, is it 7-8? Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's absurd. Yeah, the yeah. Nets just absolutely broken. I, I thought it was a 7-7 seven, seven and it still got on a holy heated. Okay, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, but yeah when, that's the biggest issue with Reanimator, which I have been playing a good amount of the past few months. It's just like, yeah, my my reanimation threat that I went through all these hoops to get through still gets hit by unholy heat. This sucks. Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely stinks. The other problem is there's not another good reanimation spell, which is still going to be an issue. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you'll have to deal with that, but I think that's the type of thing that Holebreaker Horror can also help you get around because, like, when you don't have enough reanimation spells, your other option is to hard cast these things, right? And, like, what's the disaster scenario when you're casting your 8-drop or whatever? It's that it gets countered. Well, this one's uncounterable. Yeah, exactly. So, I think... I like where this is gone. I think this card is going to help the archetype. Now, I haven't seen any lists. I haven't seen it put up any results, and I don't think anybody has a tuned version yet, so... Maybe Vegas isn't where it breaks out, but you're asking, is there an underplayed underdog in the format? And I think Reanimator's the one. Sorry, Tron players. No one, no one cares. Yeah, Tron <laughs> just isn't good anymore. I'm sorry. I, you I'm know, really depressed. I like Tron. I there's a there's a time period where it was like my nemesis for a long time because it used to be Control versus Tron was a thing. Yeah. Nowadays they both. Oh. Control kind of got new cards, but Tron never really got new cards. So yeah, I think the turning point was when Control started to beat Tron, and it's yeah, like Field of Ruin. I think was kind of when it happened. Yeah. Regardless, Tron needs new cards. Like when, if you are a Tron fan, don't give up on it. Just put the Tron lands down until a new colorless threat gets printed, which will happen. And then when you get a new sick colorless threat, you'll be good again. Right on. So there's this adage that I think gets thrown around a lot, and I wonder if. You know, in your days of grinding paper SCG events, you think there's any weight behind it, which is that paper events are like a week or two behind Modo metagames. Like, if if we're preparing for a tournament like Vegas next week, or even something to think about beyond that, do you look at, you know, Modo from a week or two prior to try to figure out how people are going to adapt that way? Or do you think that the paper and the online communities are insulated enough that you can't necessarily infer what's going to happen in paper just from like the most recent moto tournament too. Okay. So the way I've always looked at it is people don't make deck decisions the day before the tournament. They make them a week or two weeks ahead of time. And they do that because you have to acquire cards and that's tough. 
So what happens is everyone's looking at moto results and then two weeks or a week before the tournament, X tournament happens, right? And then you take that information and you pick your deck based on that thing. And then the only thing that changes in the next week are people's sideboard cards. So like on moto, people are going to change what they're playing and they're going to try to adapt to the metagame. But for the tournament that's happening that week, the only thing that's changed since last week are people's sideboard cards trying to beat the decks that they predict are going you know, that they saw happen like two or three days ahead of time. They're like, oh, well, it turns out the online result was like everyone's playing four color now to beat blue white. Well, then blue white's going to play some extra cyborg cards to beat four color or whatever. But like, there's very few people that actually hop on four color. Like, it's not none. There will be some people. But the like the deck that breaks out two or three days before the event is going to be really underrepresented. And it's going to have people that have cyborg cards against it. So I've actually found that's never easier than that great of a choice. Um, you want to pick the deck that no one is going to sideboard for from the weekend ahead of time. So it's like if, if there was an event where there was just absolutely no, like no reason to play graveyard, hate graveyard, hate looked horrible. Then the next weekend is a great time to play dredge. If that makes sense. Interesting. I, I, I love that perspective that like sideboards are, are, are the last minute decision points. And that's something that like, I know I stress about a lot is like that last couple of cyborg slots. And I, usually make that as a an emotional decision rather than like one that's specifically informed by moto results is, is this your experience too like you pick your deck a week or two in advance and and then you're fine tuning the sideboard are you are you actively trying to metagame like find the time to play dredge or are you trying to pick like what's the best deck for zach like you know what's the best version of control that i can play in a given weekend based on what's happening you get me you're speaking my soul there <laughs> How do I play blue white this week? What can I possibly do to make it playable? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to find the cyborg card and I'm with you. The last cyborg card is tough. At this point in my career, I just go with my gut. It's like if something in me is telling me I need to play this, then I just do it and just hope that my intuition is right. And if it's not, then I'll play another tournament two weeks later and hopefully it's right that time, I guess. I don't. I mean, you, you're never going to know. Like, that's the thing is like you can stress about these things and maybe you'll be right. But like the reality is that the answer is you want half of each card because you really just want a 16th and a 17th card. And you're just going to have to accept that you're wrong in some scenarios and right in others and hope that you get the pairings that are good. Um, so I used to stress and now it's just like, well, if my gut's saying one thing, I just go with it. And then I kind of stop stressing. Yeah. And it's every tournament that's never going to go away for what it's worth. You're going to stress about those last five to six cards or whatever it is every single time. And that's just, life i guess i don't know do you have like matchup anxiety where let's say like you know you really want to play amulet but you're super nervous that like if anyone brings blue moon with you know three main deck blood moons i'm screwed uh i mean i know that that is the case like you know you're gonna have bad matchups like that's modern um i don't necessarily have anxiety towards them like i am frustrated when that happens like yeah i played amulet and i i got paired against the ponza deck round one like right yeah this stinks but like there's nothing you really do to change it so like i don't i i'm at the like i probably used to stress about it a lot and i definitely would be high strung and get frustrated and go complain afterwards but like i don't know where i'm at now it's just like yeah whatever this was it this wasn't meant to be because you know i just couldn't get the pairing i needed or whatever so just whatever just roll with it and have fun let's play modern it's such a rare, like, honestly, it's such a rare treat nowadays that you get to play Paper Modern. Like, go enjoy it. Seriously, it's been so long. Just, you know what, maybe you get the bad pairing, but go enjoy it. 
I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's what I needed to hear, you know, as I finalize my, how am I going to fit an Aethergust into my 75? Like remembering not to stress and just being grateful to play paper magic, high level paper magic. That That's the gift in and of itself, isn't it? Well, and there'll be an, you'll we'll get you an Aethergust in the sideboard, and then you can just stop stressing. That's that's the answer. I've told you for sideboard card fourteen and fifteen, we got well, it. If you think I'm going to stop DMing you after we're done recording this episode, I hope you weren't planning to get rid of me because I'm going to start sending you lists every few minutes. Oh, this is yeah, no, no, I'm used to this. This is my whole testing team. Zach, can we play this? Can we try this? Can we try this? Yeah, sure, let's do it. Hey, Zach, so let's let's talk about actually playing in the event we've talked so much about prep and thinking about deck selection but i think that that's like just one part of this big puzzle right which is like i think one of the things that i think is is tough for for me especially because i don't have all of the the reps of a tournament like like you have had over the years is like what are you trying to to do in terms of your mentality like your headspace uh all that kind of stuff to to get to think about the day and approach the day in the best possible way and each match in the best possible way. Uh, so that's kind of tough. I don't know. It changes over time for me right now. Uh, I take hydration and, uh, nutrition pretty seriously. I didn't used to do this, but I do think it was a pretty big change and it helped me a lot in later rounds. I used to have a really big problem where I'd lose round one and then win every round and then lose like the last couple rounds because I would just fade. Um, and I wasn't quite ready to start round one. I fixed the round one things mostly, but I would still fade. And I found the diet and nutrition thing really helped with the not fading. Mm-hmm. Um, now that I'm there and I feel like I'm in like a mental mental good spot, uh, the, there's kind of two things. I want to escape the early rounds because I think that's really important, getting into the winner's bracket. because And when you're playing modern, if you're not in the winner's bracket, all bets are off. You can play against anything you can't be prepared for anything, anything. I'm serious. You can play against, I don't know, like the, the sixth color of magic is in the O three 3 bracket. Like you'll find it there somehow. Um, so you really, you really don't want to get into the loser's bracket. And if you do just, you know, focus on winning the next round. But in terms of like at an event, I really try to take my mind off of magic in between rounds, and I think it's really important to decompress. And I think anybody complaining about like getting unlucky or something going wrong or even bragging about how I won, any of those things is doing yourself a disservice. And for me, at least, I found turning off my brain to be the most important part of an in-between round thing, like giving yourself this reset. Um, so... I have a game called Love Letter that I bring with me, and I've just found some friends that I met at different magic events by just talking to them and asking them, do you want to play Love Letter? And we play this game called Love Letter. And it, I It's think like that, a dice rolling game, right? Uh, it's a card game, but it is kind of, it's like a nice, or it's a numbers thing. But it, Okay, got it. It's just fun. It's really simple. The first couple games you play, you have to think about it. Then it kind of just becomes second nature, and you're not really thinking anymore. Uh, and it's just something that generates laughs and is fun and gets you out of the magic mindset. And then... When I go to the next round, get my pairings, sit down, take a deep breath, think about it, and then turn back on the like I've prepped, I've done this work, you know, I'm ready mindset. Let's do a, let's do a mulligan, you know, or you know, look at my seven. Let's do it. Um, and then when you get into the games, just focus. Um, I know that's easy to say and harder to do, um, but I, I see a lot of extraneous things. Like people are worried, like is my opponent going to think I'm dumb? 
um, are, you know, is it awkward if we're doing this thing or that thing? And it's like, no, just, just focus on the game. Just don't worry about it. Just, you know, try to be nice. Don't worry about having a conversation. Like, I'm not saying be mean to them, but like, you know, just, just focus on playing. That's what's important. Um, and keep, keep track of time. I like, I am more time conscious than most players because I play control. So I really keep an eye on the clock and I'm really concerned with pace of play. Um, but I also, you know, haven't had draws in a long time, so maybe I shouldn't be anymore, but this just comes with the territory, I think. Um, but for me, the decompressing thing in between rounds is huge. Yeah, I agree. That's like, for me, it's just like, yeah, how can I not think about anything almost? Like, I don't, sometimes I don't even hang out with friends. I just like sort of don't even try to find people. I just sit at a table and just like sort of God. rest. Sure. Yeah, sitting at a table, resting, going to get food. Some people read a book. Some people like to listen to music. Like you got to figure out what it is for you. I can't answer that question for you, but whatever helps you turn off your brain for like five minutes to just stop it because it takes a lot of mental energy. Like I'm serious. These, you know, people calories, exactly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's it's energy. Like, I mean, you know, maybe it's a joke or like people think it's a joke, but like I've played in some, some high level tournaments and at all those high level tournaments, the reaction from all the players I talked to is the same. Like at the end of the day, everyone is drained, just completely drained. Oh yeah. And I should like buy some herbal cigarettes or something. (laughs) Could work. (laughs) Chamomile tea. Could work. Just just like, um, take a break. I carry energy drinks with me too, for when I'm starting to feel tired. I'll like, I'll have an energy drink in my bag. caffeinate. Yeah. And I'll, I'll caffeinate after like round six, just kind of get that pick, pick me up. Stan and I are unofficially sponsored by the caffeinated cliff bars. Okay. Oh, those sound actually pretty sweet. (laughs) Oh, they're good. Those are key. Okay. That's what it takes to play. What do you think it takes to win a tournament? Uh, to win a tournament? I mean, luck is part of it. Preparation is another one. I, I think you have to avoid the really catastrophic things. And there's definitely, I mean, you need luck. Like, there's no two ways about it. Even the best players need luck to top eight. It's really hard to top eight these things. But, like, I can say that I have gotten lucky in events when I wasn't prepared, and that didn't matter, because mm-hmm. that's certainly been the case. Um so, I don't know, 90% preparation, 10% luck, something like that. You need to be able to beat your opponents. Like, you need to get to a spot in the game where you're familiar with the situation and they're not, maybe. And it's not to say, like, they don't know the rules or something, but, like, right, right, you right. kind of need to predict how the next turn is going to go and they get it slightly wrong and then you squeak lethal past or you resolve a card draw spell that, like, pulls you one card ahead and now you've ground them out or whatever. you got the Planeswalker advantage or whatever it is. Like, you need to be familiar with what your end end games look like and how to get there. And not everybody is. I've seen a lot of players where, like, I, you know, I played in a lot of matches where I'm pretty sure my opponent has me checkmated if they just make the right plays and I just can't ever win this game. And then they don't make those plays and then I find a way to win. You know what I mean? So um, you got to be prepared. You got to know what the winning game state looks like against a lot of your matchups and how to get there. I mean, this has been like a crash course in competition and modern. Yeah, I, I just feel like I played eight rounds. I'm certainly. What are we not asking? That's tough because we. It, it does feel like we've covered a lot of things. But let's say okay. Let's say we knew each other really well and we were best friends. You stood in my wedding. Sure. Um, you know, you've hugged my mom, and and let's say you feel that way with everyone who listens to this podcast, all 20 million of our listeners all over the world. What's one piece of advice you'd give to anyone who's about to play in Vegas, or you know, next week's modern? challenge whether it's about the format right now whether it's about like what decks what cards people should be thinking about or you know something more broad that like here's a piece of advice that helped me once upon a time and now i think about forever okay so i'll get a little more 
I guess, meta on this one. We covered the other stuff before. We talked about it. I gave you the cards that I'm thinking about. I might not be right on them, but I gave you what I'm thinking about. I gave you how I feel about the decks. Uh, for me, I feel like the best piece of advice I can give you guys and anybody listening is, look, you, you know, we, we talked about it. I've been a winning player. You called me a pro. I don't know how true that is in a world where pros don't really exist anymore. But I've certainly played in a lot of high-level events, and I've sure. won my fair share of them. And I still do terrible at events. I still show up in 03, and it feels so bad. It feels just as bad <laughs> as it did when it first started. And that's never going to not be true. Mm-hmm. And just because you lost your last round or just because you aren't doing well in this tournament has no bearing whatsoever on your self-worth. Do not get down on yourself. And remember, you're there to enjoy it. Because at the end of the day, the worst thing a loss can do is make you feel bad and lose the next round. That's the absolute worst-case scenario from a loss in any round. So don't let that happen. Um, losses happen to the best players. They constantly lose. The be- In fact, I would say one of the biggest traits from good players is the ability to deal with losses in a healthy and constructive way. And that's not easy at all. It's tough. It's really hard, especially um, with people who aren't necessarily super confident. And I am, you know, I, I have a lot of confidence in myself in Magic nowadays, but I didn't always come from a place where I was really confident in myself. And it's really easy to get down and to start doubting yourself. And you just can't do those things. And, you know, I, I just want to stress again, like, it's been so rare in the last two years that we've gotten to play Paper Magic. So try to focus on that. Try to focus on enjoying it and having fun and really getting to just understand that, like, you know, it's awesome that you get to be around your friends again and play Magic and just enjoy it. And don't let a loss affect your weekend or get you down for the next round and just enjoy it. Do you hear that, Shane? Right on. Yeah, I mean, you know me. <laughs> I think this is uh, – he's speaking to you, Stan. <laughs> <laughs> the, oh, you know, you know. I mean, Sand, we do have a little bit more time, and I, I think that we, we aren't going to always have easy access to uh, Zach, who has signed up to talk to us for two hours. So, why don't you talk to him a little bit about what you're thinking about playing in the main event? Because I'm not doing the main event. I'm not stressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I am thinking about playing Murktide, and I'll, I'll tell you the reason why is I love playing is a Dex, just mm-hmm. like. Anyone who knows me well knows that like turn one scalding tarn is like my favorite play. <laughs> turn sure. one scalding tarn serum visions like any day of the week. Um, and I will admit like I'm a little nervous about the fairy decks. Blue white control ones are scarier than the four color ones, I think. But um, you know that's just one matchup. I'm also a little nervous about Jund, and that's just like I've never beat Jund in, in all my testing on Moto with Murktide. It, it feels like it's hugely weighted against Murktide, but maybe that's like my own head kind of finding confirmation bias. I, I did do some testing of Blue Moon this week in part because I did think Blood Moon is really well positioned right now because of all these money piles mm-hmm. and trying to test like this theory that maybe I can play a more controlling main deck Blood Moon game rather than like the more tempo driven monkeys and DRCs. And I, I hated that. Like I actually came to the conclusion that the Murktide deck is a better Blood Moon deck because sometimes Monkey gets you a Blood Moon on turn two in the matchups when you actually need it. Yeah, so I just agree with you. I have tried to make Blue Moon work. My conclusion has pretty consistently been that Murktide is better. That said, I don't think Blue Moon is bad. And when we mentioned the cards before that are like the best cards in the format, cards you need to play, and, uh, you know, I think when people think of 
uh, is it Merktide? They, you know, it, the best card is playing Ragavan DRC. Like you're playing it because of these cards, Merktide even. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think the best card it's plays is Expressive Iteration, and I don't think it's close. I think Expressive Iteration is a top five card in Modern. The card is absolutely bananas. It's a ridiculous magic card. Yes. And uh, Unholy Heat, to some extent. Ragavan's up there. I mean, all of those are good. Um, I would definitely play Considers. I would tell you that the Jun matchup isn't going to be easy for you, but if you approach it right, you can be favored. Because I think you, if you play it well, you will be favored. Um, and I think it just requires you playing some of the right cards and boarding correctly. Because it's yeah. not an intuitive matchup and it's not super easy necessarily. But I think I think you can get there. I think you can find it. Um, I'll show you some sideboard plans for it. But I will say one of the big problems in the matchup is the sticky green threats. Uh, they tend to hurt you. You mean like like Goyfin running six? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we got there. We found it. <laughs> I mean, part of me wonders whether I should just like take out the Merktides from my my deck altogether and play Four Fury instead. Like, I'm starting to 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 pick up what you're putting down in terms of like having pitch elementals as as maybe a, a threat. I would definitely not cut Merktides. Merktides is very good. I would want access to Fury. The actual secret in that matchup is to cut your one drops, which is really not intuitive. Uh, Even Monkey on the play if I take him to game three. Okay, I wouldn't cut Monkey on the play, but. Oh, no, I actually might. I might cut Monkey on the play. The one-drops are just bad. Like, that's how you lose, is, like, you let them one-for-one you in a way that's profitable for them. Whereas, if you just are this expressive iteration Merktide deck, they don't have profitable interaction with you. And then you Blood Moon them, and their sagas don't work anymore, and then that's game. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I think there's some non-intuitive things about the matchup, but I think you can find the right answer and be pretty favored against them. I'll take Um, it. But yeah, so I I wouldn't play Blue Moon. I've tried it, but it's just worse than that deck. But really, like, you want just more expressive iterations. So it's like, I, you know, I could see some Snapcasters in the list to just let you cast expressive iteration again. I think that's really cool. Uh, really good way to kind of go about it. Just expressive iteration is so good. Yeah, I don't I don't know if there's a better, like, you just consider looking for the card all the time. You just want to draw it. Every time, every time someone casts the card, I'm just terrified the card they put in their hand was another one. Like, <laughs> it's so good. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Snapcasters uh, like a real sideboard card for the weekend to let you draw more of these cards. Um, cool. So I'd be interested in trying some of that too. All right, I'm gonna send you my sideboard, and uh, I won't take up too much more of your time right now or this <laughs> week. But I would love uh, a gut check from you. Yeah, I'll be happy to. Because um, you know, I don't have. Um, is it Doomwake, who who won the Modern Challenge with Merktide a couple weeks ago? Did yes, all these dooms, I, Doom Switch, Doomwake. There's a third There's, one. Oh yeah, or no, it was Doom Switch. It was Doom, Doom, Doom Switch. Doom Switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have a line on on Doom Switch, but I have a line on Zach Allen, so I'm going to use it. Fair enough. No, I mean, you're welcome to message. I I still think the deck is really good. For me, it's really similar to Blue White. I like that it's more proactive. So I don't have any, like I think. Um, it's totally reasonable to to play it over blue white. I like being reactive. That's just me. And prismatic ending is like one of my favorite cards. Printed it a long time, so I'm gonna go out of my way to register that card. Um, and I think if you're playing it, you need to play it with Teferi. But I don't think that's what that that shell wants. You also you just didn't need more threes between Archmage's Charm and Expressive Iteration. Like those cards are effectively three mana spells anyway. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a really good deck. You. 
you do suffer from not having a companion. Like, if there was a deck in modern that wanted a companion, it's that one because mm-hmm. the the games you lose, you get out ground. Yes, um, and that's where companions help the most. So it's annoying that you can't play one, but I think you can make up for that in the sideboard with some playing some of the right spells. Like that, that's kind of where I'm getting with Snapcaster. It's like Snapcaster Maze, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Some spells like that in your board can go a long way to getting you to feel like you have a companion, or at least be able to grind better. Even something like Memory Deluge in the sideboard, like I never see it in sideboards ever, but like I don't think it's crazy for this deck to play something like that in the sideboard. Yeah, maybe in like that Jund matchup where you are like taking out your one drops yeah. and maybe playing a more draw go. I do game. think Memory Deluge is too expensive for what it or it's probably too expensive for that deck, but like it, it wants something grindy because that's where it struggles is when people are killing your threats. Right on. Whew. This is fun. Awesome. We did Thanks, it. Thanks, Zach. Yeah, always happy to come on. I love yeah. talking about it. I don't know. Zach, because- keep up the good work. <laughs> if uh, if people want to interact with you, they want to find you on the internet, how would they do so? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at A22EN. Um, I will be, I'm always there. People can always message me there. And I think uh, some people know, but I get messages all the time. People ask me questions about a deck or whatever, and they feel like they're annoying me. But it's like, no, I just like talking about modern. Like, feel free to shoot me a message. I'll probably answer it. Maybe I'm busy or whatever, but I'll get to it eventually. Um, and I have been making YouTube videos at R.A.W. Makes Magic, where uh, there's a YouTube channel, R.A.W. Space Makes Space Magic. Um, we built a studio at R.A.W., so I'm trying to up content there. It's been really busy with the holiday season, so uh, been slow recently, but we're starting to add content there. Um, most recently, I put out a Storm Herald reanimator deck that I 5 0 to league with, which was a dream come true. The deck is so fun. It's so bad, but it's so awesome. Uh, so yeah, I've been really enjoying playing that. I am still playing leagues with it by the way. So <laughs> it's, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't quit it. So if you want a fun deck, you can go check out that list. I actually have a, a new tuned list. Maybe I'll post that after. But I we've mean, added this, grief. And this I episode comes out be- Wednesday or Thursday at the latest. So there might still be time for people to hear this and then go find your Storm Herald iterations. Hopefully you put it out late enough that they don't play the list in Vegas. <laughs> please don't do that. This deck is not that good. But it is so fun to play with. I've played like I played like three or four leagues now, and I just keep like, oh, I know I should be testing for the team energy I'm playing, but like uh, I can play another league of Storm Heralds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I can't get over it. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, anyway, RW makes magic. You can find me there. Um, and just, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I randomly will stop by other places and do content sometimes. So, uh, once in a while I have some different stuff up there. Right on. And we'll have links to all this in the show notes for this episode as well. If you want to find Zach, just look at the episode notes and that should get you to where you're looking for. But for now that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you follow Zach on Twitter, but also Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to us, it probably won't reach Zach, but it will reach me or Shane or Dave. You can tweet us at the dive down, all one word. You can email the dive down at gmail.com, or you can even leave an audio message that might then appear on a future episode of the podcast over at podinbox.com slash the dive down. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us while playing Magic with a Mana Trader subscription. Sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the dive down 2021. 
Get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Can I give a shout out to Mana, Mana Traders real quick while you're there? Please do. I, I love Mana Traders. It's the reason I can test all these things online. And their tournaments are awesome. So if you get a chance, play them. Because I I can't say enough good things about the service. You're preaching to the choir. We've been Mana Trader stands like basically since we started the show. It kind of helped make the dive down possible. I, you literally, like Modern would not work on MTGO without them. So it's I, I think supporting them is pretty good. Right on. So don't don't take our word for it. Take our guest who we vetted for this episode. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and pack your bags for Vegas, baby! Vegas.